following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener. Robocop 2, Robocop 3, Robocop 2014, Predator the Suicide Squad, Batteries Not Included, Jurassic Park, That 70s Show, Bicentennial Man, Judge Dredd, Game of Thrones, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Idiocracy, Hellraiser, Total Recall, Starship Troopers, and Starship Troopers 2. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and then try to determine which one is cooler. Robots, dinosaurs, or zombie police officers. I'm your host, Luigi, and with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host every week. This week I am joined by writer and artist and boom mic guy, John Patsarakis. Welcome to the show, John. Hello, I'm very excited to be here. I've been looking forward to it. John, why don't you tell the listeners what movie you've been excited and looking forward to talk about today? So I have been um, very looking, very much looking forward to talking about RoboCop with you, Lou. And fun fact about me, there is a video, I think, on Instagram or Facebook. It's a couple years old now where I'm, what do you call it, wearing a cutoff black T-shirt and I'm in my friend's garage yelling about RoboCop at about three in the morning mm. because a friend of mine tried to say that he thought it was just a stupid 80s action movie. Like, <sighs> I don't know, like Commando. And I love Commando, but like, what do you call it? Um, you know, he thought it was like a blood sport or something kind of just silly. And I was like, no, dude, RoboCop is about self-actualization. And I was just like, I was on a tirade and I was drunk. Um mm. I fucking love this movie. I've loved this movie since I was a kid. I think it permanently scarred me for life when I first saw it. Uh, And should I start talking about the plot or should I just keep going? Absolutely. No, keep going, man. Keep going. It's the story of a police officer named Alex Murphy in future hellscape Detroit, Mm -hmm. uh, who has just been transferred to this new department. And I think on his first day, gets completely executed by the uh, street gang run by Clarence Boddicker, the dad from that 70s show, um, where he's he's like, go on. I think you were about to use the word I was going to use. What were you going to say? I was going to say he's crucified with shotgun yeah. fire. Yep, okay. that's exactly like, right. Yep. Yeah, it's and you can't just like throw that out without somebody trying to be expecting it to come or something. But like, yeah, I, I was made, I was really noticing like the Jesus parallels and how much this is a resurrection story. Like from yeah, uh, this time I was watching it, and there's been a lot of uh, I, I looked it up, and there's been a lot of write ups about that aspect of the movie that Paul Verhoeven very deliberately wanted. Um, oh yeah, this character to be American Jesus is the way they'd put it. I love that his idea of American Jesus is a police officer completely devoid of emotion <laughs> until the very end and, yeah. and a complete violent tool for the bureaucrats. It's like, that's American Jesus, man. He died for your taxes. Like he, fucking, <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he's brilliant. Uh, it's, it's such a beautifully brutal movie. Like, in the way that only 80s action movies are, because you watch movies now and there's like a very intense level of gore in certain hmm. projects. Like, I don't know, I just saw The Suicide Squad and that was a gory ass movie. It was great. Yeah, yeah. But um, 
what do you call it? There's there's this tangibility to 80s gore that only exists in these movies, like the opening scene with the Ed 209, which is a which is the the uh, prototype for RoboCop essentially. It's mm-hmm. like the pro it's the it's the robot that they want to be patrolling the streets. It's got no human element. They control it remotely. Well, they don't control it at all, actually. And uh, the first thing it does in the movie is completely gun down a bureaucrat in a board meeting, which uh, you should always watch the unrated version because there's a couple extra seconds of him getting shredded like like fucking mozzarella cheese. And yeah, there's this statistic that um, that actor has the most um, squibs out of like in a, in a single special effects shot um, out of any single actor in, in film. That's crazy. Squibs are fucking really dangerous too. It's the reason they don't use them anymore Mm -hmm. is because it's a tiny explosion that they have to strap to your chest. That's right next to your heart. Yep. So that man had about like 40 on him. So it was like least, 40 yeah. little explosions all over his chest. J- just, oh God, beautiful. Uh, yeah. Fun thing about Ed 209 too is that he's a stop motion character. Yes. Um, and one of the last too is that uh, that was becoming very, very out of favor. And he was also, he was done by uh, Phil Tippett, I believe. I was going to ask if you uh, recognize Phil Tippett from anything else. He's the special effects director for the original Star Wars trilogy. Yes, he is. And, and he, he has did another something else recently that a friend of mine told me about. And now I can't remember, and I feel dumb. But like, oh, this is gonna blow your mind. Um, are you familiar with the uh, the 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 island jungle documentary um, about creatures that live on a Costa Rican island called Jurassic Park? Oh, uh, I've heard. Um, is this is on BBC. Yes, yes, yes where they, yeah, yeah, they follow the dinosaurs in their natural habitat, and then some scientists come in and complicate everything, but, um, but yeah, <laughs> no, man, in, <laughs> yeah, that dress I, part, in the kitchen scene, um, the claymation dinosaurs, the stop-motion animation dinosaurs, those were also made by Phil Tippett, uh, he did a awesome. lot of the, the dinosaur animation in general, but also Starship Troopers. Oh, he did do Starship Troopers, well, that's also a Paul Verhoeven movie. Exactly, yeah. Oh, that's perfect. There's another there's another strong uh, Starship Troopers um, parallel in this movie. There's a scene where all the cops are they're in the precinct and all the cops are like showering together and there's nothing there's no mention made of it. It's not a weird thing or something that's acknowledged. It's just part of the movie that like the camera sweeps through this locker room. There's men just getting out of the shower. There's women just getting out of the shower. They're just casually having a conversation with each other rather than there being separate locker rooms. And that happens in um, in Starship Troopers as well. All of the Marines, the space Marines, they just like shower and live together and they're not separated based on gender. Um, yeah, I believe I, that's I think that's what definitely he, a Paul Verhoeven thing. Yeah, I think they always said that that's part of his vision for the future. Mm-hmm. Is that gender neutral spaces, especially in the military and the police, would just be the norm. Because at a certain yep. point in the future, we're going to stop giving a shit about this thing. And yeah, I, like Nancy yeah. Allen, uh, her character Ann Lewis, is never like the girl cop, right? Like the rest oh, of no. the precinct respects her. They don't. They don't. She doesn't get that casual 80s misogyny treatment. That's true. She's never framed in a very sexual light or or she, there's never an explicit scene where, oh, look, her top flew off. You know, there's nothing right. like that. And um, what do you call it? She's more competent than Murphy half the time, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. She, you know, she doesn't get shotgun crucified. 
Um, <laughs> she does get taken out by a guy who distracts her uh, with his with his with his ween. Um, that yeah, does oh, yeah, happen. We gotta, is, we gotta he is just that. like, don't look at my penis, and then kicks her. <laughs> it's like it's 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 still very eighties and very cheese, but it's not f- portrayed as like uh, you know those women they be looking at wangs. It's more or less just a very awkward situation. Yeah, and like uh, what do you call it? And then she got karate kicked, so at least it was fun. Yeah. So, um, um, so we're already, we're already getting into a lot of really great stuff about this movie. Let's introduce it, um, with, by talking about the, who's in the movie, uh, we've got, uh, Nancy Allen, who we were just talking about that plays Anne Lewis, who is, um, Robocop's partner. Uh, so if you, if you've seen this movie, that's Robocop's partner that we've just described, like that pivotal scene where she gets kicked onto a pile of pillows and is totally okay. <laughs> While her partner yeah, gets she, literally crucified by a shotgun, <laughs> um, but she's I, she's an awesome character. Like she gets introduced, just kicking the ass of this perp who won't who won't uh, who's in the precinct, like um, and and is uncontrollable. And she just comes in and she's like, it's clear she's had a long day. And she just kicks this guy's ass, puts him under arrest, takes care of it. Um, we've also got Peter Weller playing Robocop. Oh, dude. I love. Peter who, I mean, Weller, just. Man. Yeah, he's perfect. His li- his every single line that he delivers is perfect, both before and after his transformation. Um, he does that perfect like cadence of of a robot talking, like you know, uh, uh, dead or alive, you're coming with me. Like all of it, he's Stay just so good at trouble. That. Like, like that. <laughs> your move, creep. I could, we could just like quote this movie like action figures all day. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It's like you just you want to like press the button in the back and just hear all the, yep. the like. Um, uh, what's the most fucked up one though? Just ma'am, you have experienced trauma. I will contact a rape crisis center. It's like yeah. very helpful and well-meaning, but Jesus, like, um, I, I think that scene, the famous Dick shooting scene, mm-hmm. uh, one of the most iconic, uh, uh, scenes from the movie so much so that people have shirts that you remember that time Robocop shot that guy in the dick, uh, <laughs> like, there's it's framed like a classic vigilante superhero scene where yeah. a woman is about to be traumatized and, and you know assaulted and the you know sh- knight in shining armor shows up and takes care of the situation but he ca- takes care of it in a way that is hyper violent as mm-hmm. well as being flagrantly irresponsible as to whether or not he could have shot that woman because he shoots he shoots the guy in the dick through her dress yep the implication being that he's got such pinpoint accurate aiming that he could shoot between her legs and hit him and not hurt her. And then when she's just like, oh, my goodness, thank you so much. His, his response is like a pre-programmed algorithmic response because yeah. he's a fool. You know, he's not a hero. Because he, and, yeah, exactly. Because he's a he's a agent of the state and the state just has this catch all. Uh, a solution to a problem like this. They're not going to acknowledge the human element of it and the, and the long-term psychological traumatic effects. Um, and Robocop, so Robocop therefore is not programmed or equipped to do so. He is just there to kick ass and the violence that's happening. But then the next step is like actually super important for this woman. She needs to talk to somebody, right? Like exactly. she needs to, and all he, and all he can do is say like, yeah, I'll, uh, 
yeah, I'll, I'll call a crisis center. Have you, uh, you, you, I'm sure that you're familiar with the sequels, right? Robocop 2 and Robocop 3? Yeah, I mean, Robocop 2 is, uh, I, I have a, a fondness for Robocop 2 for a few reasons. Uh, a lot of it was written by Frank Miller, who, yes. like, you know, um, very famous comic book writer, Dark Knight Returns, Sin City, etc. cetera. Uh, and so uh, some of it's got some weird Frank Millerisms about it. He's even in the movie. But my favorite little detail about RoboCop 2 is that the villain is called RoboCop 2. Yes, um, yes, yes. And I think it was Phil Tippett, but it could have been somebody else. Um, the Ed 209 was such a popular design that people were making miniatures and figures and like all this stuff. And Phil Tippett was not seeing any money from it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, this is my character. This is bullshit. So when he was contacted to make RoboCop 2, the, the giant robotic monster that, you know, our, our boys got to fight at the end of the movie, he was just like, how do I make the most unappealing, freaky, disgusting monster I can create? That's out funny. Of, out of robot parts. Because he's like, I want it to be scary and like good villain, but I also want no one to want this on their desk. Yeah, that thing, that RoboCop 2 looks like General Grievous. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah, shit. Its, uh, it's very stupid. <laughs> but um, there, this moment when RoboCop saves that woman, it's paralleled in RoboCop 2. And it actually kind of shows his, his growth and development over time as a character. Because in RoboCop 2, there is, uh, there's a kid, the, the, the most awesome character in the, in the movie. By the way, this is, we're going to talk about RoboCop 1. This is not a podcast where we're talking about all of the RoboCop movies. Um, but I do want to just say this about the sequel. It'd be a few hours long, I'm sure. Yeah, and, 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 and uh, John, I would like to have you back sometime to, um, to talk about Love the sequel. Feedback. So we could, we could plan on that sometime. Um, but I just want to talk about this parallel because I think it's really interesting. There's there's this kid in the movie that's like awesome. He's just this mob boss kid. And um, there's a point where like something happens. RoboCop, he the kid is injured very badly. And RoboCop is like, I'm going, he says the same thing that he says to the woman. Like, I'm going to call uh, an emergency crisis center to come help you. And the kid says like, hey, I, like, I want you to stay with me. And RoboCop does. Like, he just, he realizes like, oh, it's not enough for me to, I, I've resolved the situation. Now I can go move on to the next thing. And just, oh, shit. I just spilled water all over myself. Sorry. All right, <laughs> let me finish my point. The and then nothing on the equipment, but let me finish this point real quick and then I'm going to grab the towel. <laughs> all right. Just to help me edit this later. Um, okay. so, he, so he says, uh, um, yeah, basically like he's he is like instead of just moving on to the next thing, he's going to stay and like make sure this person's okay until, you know, like until the last moment. Um, And that's what he should have done with this woman. He should have, he should have stayed with her and waited for the the nearby crisis alert center to to come and help. Right. An ambulance to show up. uh, At the very least. But no, he's got, he's got robocopping to go do. Unfortunately. Yeah. He's got, Like he, he's got he's got to go you know slowly walk around Detroit and shoot men in the head you know it's got it's a long day but uh, I it's it's such a good scene man 
But mm-hmm. I didn't know that, or at least I didn't remember that about RoboCop 2, is that he has a moment where he, where the humanity comes through, which shows, it shows a good bit of continuity from this to the, the end of this movie to the sequel, which if there's one thing you can say about the RoboCop sequels is that they don't particularly care about the tone of the first movie. Yeah, it's more of a, the second one's a lot more of a comedy, I'd say. And yeah, I think they were like, well, we got this really big hit on our hands. Let's make another one and let's make it so that it's not impossible to take your children to go see. Yes. Yeah. The, the sequel feels a lot more focus grouped. Um, you know, do you know what I mean by that? Like, and, and actually it's funny because the movie itself shows several scenes where a board of directors are having a meeting about like, what should RoboCop do? Um, when we make this new RoboCop 2 design, what should it have? Uh, what do people like about it? And it's very, very meta. Um, but this movie, you said something interesting earlier about the design of um, like how it's, or I'm sorry, about the gore of it and how Suicide Squad is a recent movie that came out that like doesn't shy away from the gore. But I'd say the no, difference there's is- there's plenty of it. That, that like, movie as, is- as, the in that movie, the gore is used for humor because it's so over the top. And RoboCop does that, but also simultaneously, RoboCop makes the, the, the gore over the top and funny, but it also makes it horrific at the same like I'm I'm actually scared and and uncomfortable by it. Whereas in Suicide Squad, I'm just laughing. Yeah, I think that's a beautifully put point. Is that like, you know, I think the Gore and Suicide Squad is heavily inspired by the first scene in uh, Predator, the first action scene, um, okay. where it's going for this hyperviolence, a very in, a, in an '80s style, but very much played for the laughs of it, for the like you know the immediate impact and the blood splatter and everything like that. And it's beautifully effective. I did love that movie. Uh, I, I can't put it into words, but something about the way it's done in RoboCop, it's impactful. And it is funny, like when he throws a guy through a supermarket window or when he like, you know, um, or when the guy gets melted by acid, which I know we will talk about. But like, you know, there's this humor to it where it's like, wow, this is impossible. But because you're not looking at a digital effect or you're looking at an actual sculpted thing that someone made or a squib that bursted off someone's body, there is a tangibility to it. I don't know yes. a better way to describe it than it feels real, even if it doesn't look real. Like, you know, when that guy gets his dick blown off, you can feel it, even though it's a ridiculous moment where it's like, okay, sure. But like, it, it's it got the the impact. It's got the, I was almost said gravitas, but you know what? I'm going to say gravitas. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I mean to say. It does. Every, yeah, um, everything feels tangible. It feels... Um, like and it comes through in the performances. I think the I think the actors in this movie are all doing a stellar job of selling what's going on. Like oh. that guy that the guy that gets melted by the toxic waste after getting submerged in toxic waste. It's him. Like it's his like gasping and his tr- him trying to talk and he can't seem to talk because he's literally melting and he's like and going he's, up like, to his buddies and around like too. hobbling around. Everything that he's doing with his physical acting is really helping. Um, Peter Weller apparently took like mime classes so that he could uh, he could do a better like performance as a robot in the suit. Um, and apparently that was something he just did volu- like voluntarily on his own time. Nobody, Paul Verhoeven didn't tell him to do it. He just wanted to. 
And I think it really comes through in his performance. The ironic part is, though, is I've heard in interviews where he said, I took all those mime classes to try to mimic machine-like movement. And then when I got the suit on, I could barely move. Mm. So a lot of the subtleties that I was working on prior to the movie were kind of thrown out the window. But it kind of he kind of adapted the performance to being in this what is essentially a tuna can that he's yeah. strapped into. Like, you know, he, he let that really uncomfortable aspect of the costume uh, inform his performance as well as all the uh, prior stuff that he did, which just mm-hmm. goes to show how much of a tremendous actor he is. Cause like, I don't know many actors who could deal with being in that thing for as much as he was. Yeah. And he was uh, partly, he was partly chosen because of his physicality because the role was written with a Schwarzenegger in mind, like a, like an eighties muscle head, mm-hmm. but uh, they needed someone who could fit into this big bulky suit. So they chose Peter Weller, who's a very tall man, but not a jacked man. He's very lithe and, and like lanky almost. But he's angular. He has like, he has the right jaw. Exactly. He has, yeah, he has sharp features, which really, really works. And, and I, God, I love the way that whenever he's walking, he fully churns his head in the direction he's about to move. And then his body, like one leg at a time, a jerk moves in that direction and it's all broadcasted. It's all you, you feel the weight of that suit, the way that he's walking around in it. Every single step feels and sounds. You can imagine the servos in his hips and like the, Mm. the, the idea that his head moves first because he has to have an ocular scan. It's just like, it's the kind of stuff that's purely an implication, but it comes across because you, you already bought into the world and you already bought into like, everything because it's established so well so when robocop finally does start walking around you're like holy shit this guy is is a completely different being than everyone else in this movie they do a couple of things to obscure it in a smart way too like when he when he first gets introduced they don't want to show the whole entire body and i think that's smart they they kind of tease it a little bit they have him you just hear the sounds of like stomping like the the servos and the clomping of the heavy armor uh, heavy metal feet stomping around. People are are kind of looking through the window, uh, but the curtains are closed to try to get a look at what is this this thing making all this noise in the precinct. Um, and you don't see him in full frame for a while. And then also every time he's getting into or out of a car, you don't really see that because he couldn't. He was the suit was so bulky he couldn't actually fit in a car. So they do yeah, these so shots. Only wearing like, the top hat. His, yeah, they do shots of like his leg next to a car or one foot getting into it and then they cut. But in actuality, he's he's just pantsless uh, in the in the car. <laughs> and when they're, they're shooting through the windshield and then it's a whole entire separate uh, setup and, and, and scene when they're just doing like the leg coming in or out of the car. I thought that was funny. I, that's terrific. Just the idea of Peter Weller, like who from the waist up is RoboCop and then from below the half is in like tidy whities mm-hmm. is it's an amazing visual. Like I would love to see a behind the scenes photo. <laughs> absolutely. I would pay like through the nose for that. Like, but I think one of the brilliant things about the perspective too, is that they introduce RoboCop from a POV shot and they stick with him mm. for quite a while. Yeah. Um, good point. Good point. What do you call it? Uh, he, after he's been, you know, crucified, uh, he is, they take his remains. OCP takes his remains. The, uh, the major corporation of this movie, the company mm. that is funding the police officers in Detroit. That's and right. Omni, Omni consumer products. 
omni consumer products. I was going to call it like um, occupational consumer products, I think, but omni is way more evil sounding. Mm-hmm. Um, but they take his remains because he signed up to the police force. They physically own his body. Yeah. And the only thing he really has left is brain activity. So they're like, well, uh, it would be a waste if we didn't use him on the new RoboCop uh, product that we're trying out because the Ed 209 murdered a man in a boardroom. Um, <laughs> and it cuts to him, like them adjusting his eyeline tracking with like a screwdriver. And he's looking up at the scientists and the people who own him. And uh, what do you call it? There's a there's a line that it's going to, I think, it'll start at a specific topic of conversation where they're like, we managed to salvage his arm. And they're like, no, 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 no. I don't I don't want a human arm at all. I want him to be completely metal. Yeah. Uh, which is like, well, one is fucking horrifying is yeah. uh, like it's just like, eh, you know, that little bit of human flesh that could still be functional. Just get rid of it. It'll, yeah. it'll, it'll won't work with our aesthetics. It won't work with our optics that we have for RoboCop. So fuck Alex Murphy. Um, but also, we were talking about this prior, is RoboCop a robot? Mm. Because he still has, clearly has human components. That's a very big question. Uh, John, in your, in your own words, in your own definition, what is a robot? <sighs> See, this is a, this is wild. Like, um, do I like do I want to bring up Asimov's rule of robotics? On, I this? think you do because it I, uh, fits the prime directives, right? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think that in fiction, robots tend to just be um, metal uh, humanoids or approximations of human personalities that serve a greater purpose. And that varies in definition. Like, you know, you have characters like the droids in Star Wars who are very clearly completely synthetic and completely computerized, but have human personalities. Mm. And they're essentially a slave class. But that's a topic for a different podcast. Um, And you have characters like, well, um, Robin Williams' character in Bicentennial Man who is adapted from an Asimov story who lists off the, the rule of robotics like that involves like robots cannot harm humans unless directed to uh, ro- no, is it robots cannot resist uh, human directives unless they are to kill other human beings, which if that's the case, Robocop does not classify as one because his whole purpose is to kill other human beings at the behest of his prime directive. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the three laws of robotics real quick. And then um, the three laws of, or the, the, the three prime directives that RoboCop has. So the, the Asimov's three law, laws of robotics. First law, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction, allow a be- human being to come to harm. Um, and the very first directive for RoboCop is serve the public trust. Uh, number two law of robotics a robot must obey the orders given it by humans, except when such orders would conflict with the first law. And number two for RoboCop, second directive, protect the innocent. So much more simple, <laughs> simplified, concise term. Um, then the yeah, third law. A, it comes down to like who, who qualifies as innocent in the eyes of OCP mm. and the you know future police in Detroit. 
And then the third law of robotics is a, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with this first or second law. Um, for Robocop, his third directive is just uphold the law. So, so these robots are like they're in in Asimov's rules. It's you can't they can't kill humans, um, and they have to protect their own. They have to protect themselves unless doing so would harm a human, um, and also they have to obey every law that a human gives them, unless of course it results in them harming themselves or harming another human. And with RoboCop, it's, it's like I said, a lot more concise. It's just serve the public trust, protect the innocent, uphold the law, and then a mystery fourth one that we don't find out until the end of the movie. Which I believe, uh, I don't remember the exact wording of it, but it's essentially if you are a higher up at OCP, you have, uh, you have priority clearance that RoboCop cannot harm you. Yeah, if he tries to arrest you, he shuts down. That's basically the fourth directive. Yeah. Which, yeah. he, which he tries to do. He tries to erect, arrest Dick Jones, which is awesome. Jonesy. Yep. What do you call it? Because like he finds out that Dick Jones is responsible for what Clarence Boddicker has been doing, which, by the way, we have not talked enough about Clarence Boddicker so far. Let's I talk mean, about let's talk about Kurtwood Smith uh, playing Clarence yes. Boddicker. Kurtwood Smith, of course, the dad from that 70s show, as you Red mentioned earlier. Yep. From that from that 70s show. So how does he tie into all of this? <laughs> he is one of the best villains in uh in an in any in any eighties movie. I mean, he like we said, um, you don't see him do that many horrible things. You see him shoot people. You see him, you know, order his uh, what do you call it? Uh, his his cronies around. You see him execute his cronies, much like the Joker does. Mm-hmm. Like um. Can you fly, Bobby? Like, and he just throws him out of a moving fucking car. Um, but when RoboCop goes through the mainframe, is like uh, of the that the police have. You see a picture of him, and for reference, if you don't know what he looks like, he looks like a middle-aged dad. Mm-hmm. You know, he looks like a sitcom dad, which is what he was. Um, yeah. But it's like uh, wanted on charges of rape, murder, assault terrorism like bank robbery like distributing drugs killing kids you know stealing candy from babies like everything like fucking everything this man has done and it's it makes him scarier because he's because he looks unassuming but you see him almost get off when he when he kills alex murphy because he is the man who kills alex murphy and births robocop essentially Mm -hmm. is that like you know he takes his humanity away from him he strips him of it and um, at the end, when RoboCop is just beating the shit out of him, like, oh, my God, through fucking multiple panes of glass, smashing his head on a, onto a conveyor belt, uh, he screams, I work for Dick Jones. Mm-hmm. Dick Jones! And, like, you know, he you find out that the most violent, powerful criminal that's running the streets right now is working at the behest of the most wealthy and uh, powerful person in the uh, in the bureaucratic system, mm-hmm. which you know certainly not a subtle parallel, but definitely one to think about, and one that most '80s action movies don't have. Most '80s yeah. action movies, oh, who's the bad guy? Uh, the the terrorists, uh, the Russians. Uh, you know, it works really well. You know what '80s movie? Not an action movie, but '80s movie um, does this does a similar thing. Is batteries not included? Because there's I heard a, you talk a, about this movie. Before. 
Yeah, but yeah, we've covered it in a previous episode, but I'm just realizing that there is a, 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 a sort of a weird connection in that in that movie, there's this evil company, like real estate company that wants to take over this, this neighborhood and they're tearing down all the buildings so they can rebuild, you know, housing projects or whatever. And in order, like there's a, a one building where the people won't leave um, and they, they, they won't accept uh, basically the buyout to leave their apartments. Um, so they're like, so the, they're trying to get this, this evil company is trying to get rid of them. And they hire these like low level street thugs just to come in and like do vandalism, just to come in and like bust up the place and make things, make things harder for this, the families living in this building to incentivize them and motivate them to accept this money to be, to be evicted basically. Um, and so that just shows this, like, you've got these people, the movie introduces these thugs who are coming in and like vandalizing as like the villains, but then it the camera pans out sort of like, you know, metaphorically speaking, you find out who is behind hiring them and it's even more sinister. And that's kind of what this movie does. Like Boddicker and his crew are very evil, but there's a version of this movie where they're just doing crime for doing crime. But then you find out like they're, they're not just doing crime. They're sanctioned. Like their crime spree is sanctioned by the people that are building in the new Detroit. And I love the parallels that it shows between the two groups. Cause you were mentioning like Boddicker, uh, his buddy, his, his friend, was it Billy or Bobby gets shot in the leg during the uh, shootout. Um, And he's like, can you fly Bobby? That's I think it's Bobby. Um, Can you fly Bobby? And he just tosses him. He just very casually tosses him out the back of the moving van because he's no longer useful to him. Um, They're they're very, they treat death very callously and casually. And the same exact thing when Ed 209 shoots up that guy in the boardroom when they're doing a demonstration of Ed 209 and it malfunctions. Uh, His name is Kenny. And another guy, I think Johnson, um, is just in the room when they're, when his dead body is there and somebody's like, call a paramedic, which is hilarious. Um, somebody's <laughs> like, paramedic. I mean, somebody goes call- too, too bad about Kenny, huh? And they're just like, yeah, that's life in the big city though. Like his body is still <laughs> bleeding on a table and they're just like, eh, well, and so like, there, there's just this absolute apathy for human life on every level in I the mean, boardroom. And also with these like, you know how parts. it is when, Giant death robots gun down people in the middle of Times Square. You know, man. Sometimes Tuesday. you're just late for for your train. Like, yeah, man. Shit. I gotta catch my train. I can't be worried about this. <laughs> I can't be worried about Kenny. <laughs> I can't be worried about Kenny in this assault droid that just murdered no. him. Like the six train leaves in ninety seconds, and I gotta be honest. <laughs> like what I um, what I love too about Dick Jones paying for everything with Clarence Boddicker is that mm-hmm. he's doing it. To one, not only kill RoboCop because RoboCop is not his idea, and so yeah. ergo he's not making money off of it. Um, he's doing it so that the crime levels in Detroit are so high that Ed Two Hundred Nine is the only option f- to patrol the streets, and that way the United States Army will want to invest in Ed Two Hundred Nines for you know um, for their foreign policy, essentially. Yeah, like he's it's essentially it's a war contract. It's he's trying yeah. to get a weapon of mass destruction on new on I almost said New York streets on Detroit streets and then essentially you know in in foreign countries as well because it's going to make him a lot of money and yep. you know like I said not a subtle parallel but those are the exact people that are the reason the world is fucked today 
Like, yep. and that's why why I feel like this movie has a lot more weight than just like you know some shoot 'em up movie like you know like one of the Rambo sequels. Like, you know, mm, mm. I think this movie's got a lot more weight to it, and I think that's because too. The concept for RoboCop, one of the initial starting points for it was them trying to make a Judge Dredd movie, Mm -hmm. Um, which is why uh, if you their costumes aren't exactly the same, but they have a similar ethos. If you look at Judge Dredd's costume and RoboCop's Uh, like uh, armor. Oh, yeah, the helmet for sure. For the helmet, for sure. Like and that's because Judge Dredd is a caricature of American imperialism uh, that was made by British people in the 80s. So, like, if you take that and then you twist it through the lens of Paul Verhoeven, this, you know, European weirdo who's got, like, all these crazy-ass ideas, um, you get a character like RoboCop who can simultaneously be a parody and, um, like, you know, a mockery of the United States, of the American police force, and of, like, our obsession with consumerism. But at the same time, I fucking love RoboCop. I, I love him. Like the way that I love like Godzilla and like, mm. you know, freaking Spider-Man or something. Like I just like I see I want to hug him. Like I like I think he's the coolest. And uh, he, he almost is like, like a superhero, right? Yeah, he is. Like it's so weird how Robocop par- like parallels a lot of the superhero movie beats because it was way before that was like in every single popular movie. Mm-hmm. Like the way he swoops in and the way that he gets like a, a level of violent retribution. It's like, he's got one foot in the modern age of like costumed adventurer and one foot in the 1970s, like Clint Eastwood, dirty Harry school of like heroism. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Or heroism. Yeah. It, it, he's ride, got- it, ride, it rides that line so beautifully of like the name, the design of it, the fact that it looks like an action figure. And you of course can go to Toys R Us in the 80s and buy a robocop action figure um like everything about it it's like it yes this is very silly this is a superhero this is over the top but paul verhoven balances that with this brilliant social commentary and the fact that he's said he's using this all to say something and tell and like tell a story of pain and redemption and and just sacrifice like you were talking about the um when 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 we first get RoboCop's POV, it's from his camera as he's booting up. The implication of that is absolutely horrifying the more you think about it. The fact that he is semi-aware during this process of when they're rebuilding, and he's semi-aware, and we're seeing what he can experience, which is very limited. And it's all like it, it, I think there's like, I, I don't know where this quote comes from, but I, I have no mouth, but I must scream where like, you can just imagine. Oh, well, that's the name of a Harlan Ellison book. Okay. Uh, okay. I have no mouth and I must scream is a short story by Harlan Ellison where he was literally challenged by one of his uh, compatriots. What's the worst thing you can write? Not like mm. worst, bad, like most horrifying. Um, and it's about people in the future uh, who are the the last five humans on earth and they're in cages and they are consistently tortured by a nihilistic supercomputer that was created to like run all of the United States government or some shit like Mm. that. And now because the only thing he was built to do was war, 
he get the only thing he's programmed to do is keep these people alive and torture them eternally. And their whole <sighs> goal in the story is to find a way to commit suicide. Okay. And four of them do. One of them uh, stays behind so the other ones can. And Am, the computer, turns him into a blob that can still see and hear and feel but can't do anything else. Ugh. And he has no mouth and he must scream. Yeah. Yeah. It's some shit. Like, yeah. I was obsessed with it for a while, I remember. Like, imagine like, imagine waking up and, and slowly dawning on you that, like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm just – I don't have arms or fingers – or legs or anything anymore i don't have a mouth all i have is i'm in a glass tube filled with some sort of liquid and then eventually like that gets put into another body that like your brain has to figure out how to manipulate like arms and legs but they're not organic and it's like um it's crazy like robocop 2 sorry i keep bringing it up and i said i wasn't i wasn't going to but robocop (laughs) 2 kind of starts with a montage of them trying out new RoboCop 2s. They're trying to recreate the Alex Murphy experiment. And the the very There's first thing that fight. most of them do is grab a gun and shoot themselves in the head because they're they they are horrified by this uh this new existence thing that called they're waking life. up into. Yeah. Yeah, no, they, like, um, there's a seat that one of the parts in that sequence in RoboCop 2 is one of them just, he walks forward and he's the one that looks the most like RoboCop and he mm-hmm. sticks his hands on his head and he pulls the mask off and he's just a screaming yeah. human skull and yep. he shrieks and he falls over and dies. Yep. Like, that has lived rent-free in my head since I saw it as a kid. Like, it was just fucking freaky and i think that's the beauty of these movies is that they're powerful stories about humanity with some freaky shit in them Mm -hmm. like um i i love the scene when in when we're still looking at his pov when the guy who ordered the building of robocop was just like let me get a handshake from this guy because his arm's not attached yet and his hand almost completely crushes the guy's you know fingers and like in his wrist and it's just like oh god and then when everybody else leaves, he looks at the camera, like looks at RoboCop's head and is just like, you are going to be a bad motherfucker. Because it's so like he was just emasculated mm-hmm. by this thing that he bought. I was going to say built, but he didn't build anything. And when everyone else leaves, he has to puff himself back up by looking at him and being like, yeah, I, I knew you'd do that <laughs> because you're so fucking cool because I made you. You know, like he's get it follow it follows the thing you were talking about how like IP is really the the war that's actually going on in Detroit is the IP, the independent properties of uh, intellectual properties of these people running Omnicorp rather than like it's not like a gang war on the streets and like this gang is trying to take over turf or whatever. It's like this this guy has an idea for Ed 209 robots to patrol the city, but this guy has an idea for dead zombie cops who are actually cyborgs to be patrolling patrolling the streets and you know, that's the, the war yeah that's the macro conflict going on in this movie for sure like, that guy I, that uh, guy like that's his whole thing is like he is staking i mean literally by the end of the movie he's staking his life on this project being more appealing to the old man than the ed 209 project and he goes he goes a little bit too far and it does because of corporate espionage cost him his life. Like the other Jones takes him out 
to it's like game Absolutely. it's almost game of thrones esque like how oh yeah uh, shit it is cutthroat it is game of thrones would have been so much better if it had robocop in it oh yeah well, what are what are the White Walkers if not uh, pre-programmed, you know, uh, zombie zombie well, robots? That's a great point. I just yeah. meant that, like in King's Landing, like next to the Iron Throne, he should have just been there. Like, <laughs> I don't, yeah, like like Tywin Lannister is just like we have to convene the King's Council. Robocop, won't you join with us? Affirmative. Like I would, mm-hmm. I would have ruined that show, but I should have made that show. <laughs> The, uh, <laughs> how are the negotiations with uh, the rival king kingdom going? Cuts to Robocop. Your move, creep. <laughs> He's just like shooting uh, Holster Tully in the head or some shit. Like, <laughs> um, I, uh, I so uh, one of the big points that uh, so to me, well, well, to to get to wrap up the corporate espionage part of this program. Um, I think the there's the scene where the guy who commissioned RoboCop, the the, the bad motherfucker guy, I can't remember his mm-hmm. character's name. Um, he's in his second. room, and and I know it's supposed to be the future, Sorry, but there is Morton. no more scene that is the 1980s than when he's hanging out with two um, sex workers, and they're just doing coke, and they all got big <laughs> ass shoulder pads and like yes. hair and everything. And and he's just talking about how he's gonna rule Detroit with his you know RoboCops, and uh, who shows up at the door but Clarence Boddicker, uh pointing his gun at everyone in the room and just immediately, bitches leave, you know, and the oh the ladies God, pack it's... up their blow and they make an exit, you know, exit yeah. pursued by Red Foreman. And this like, guy doesn't, uh, yeah, he doesn't look intimidating, but when he does something like that, you you get it, you get why he's in charge. It's, it's like yeah, you were saying before, he, he looks like somebody's stepdad, but then he walks in the room and just takes command and you're like, oh shit, yeah, I'm, I'm paying attention. Yeah, with his fucking circle glasses and his and his bad hairline. You just, it's something about the way he says all this shit. It sounds like he's getting off on it and you believe that he wants to do this. Like you, be, you believe yeah. that him showing up at, at this apartment to threaten this guy for Dick Jones because he puts on like a... I think a VHS tape, like CD in the, ROM, in the my friend. Star. He takes out a CD. He takes out a CD ROM. Welcome to the future, dude. Yep. Like two thousand. This is year, the year two thousand twenty-nine. By the way, oh, in the shit. RoboCop world, yeah, we're eight years away from RoboCop. We're close, Fuck, and we are getting there. We're very close, and we're and I think it's, dude, I, I think Paul Verhoeven was a prophet. <laughs> I remember when 2015 rolled by and that's the year that back to the future two happens. Mm-hmm. When I was a little kid, that was always the future in my head was back to the future two. And I was like, yeah. shit, we're past that. Well, we're already past Akita. What was it? We passed that a, wh- a while ago. That was 2019. Mm-hmm. So when we get to 2029, I think that's just it, man. I think we're just over anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man. <laughs> Robo- Robocop and Wally have predicted the future better than any other sci-fi movie. Uh, Robocop Wally and I gotta throw a Star Trek in there. Just just to Fair throw enough. it in there. Because you know? of iPads, because like, they invented the iPad. The iPads and flip phones. Like flip phones in the sixties. That's pretty wild. <laughs> like, True. like um so he puts the C D ROM in and Dick Jones explains, like, you know, you're getting on out of here, kid. You're getting too big for your britches, and I just can't have you around. And what do you call it? Uh Clarence Boddicker leaves a fucking hand grenade on the table after having shot the guy. In and the he legs, blows yeah. up his so he can't run away. Yeah, oh, he shoots him in the knees, right? 
Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like shooting people in the limbs to incapacitate them in this movie. I have such respect for that because in a movie, especially at the time, headshots and chest shots were the way to go because you could put a squib on someone's body. But if you're going to dismember somebody or like, you know, something like that, you have to build a fake prosthetic limb that's going to fall off. Mm. And that's so much fucking work because if you do that shit wrong, it looks terrible. Mm-hmm. So like there's so much just craft going into this horrible, horrible thing. And also I, it was a very, very brief side note, play a lot of video games. And one thing my friend noticed when we were playing red dead online together is that I was just like talking about Robocop one day. He's like, yeah, you really adopted his shotgun dismemberment method whenever we play <laughs> video games online. And I was like, you know what, man, it works. They stop running. Like, and I was just like, Truth. you know, I, I, I think that's funny. <laughs> that makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Uh, uh, one of my, uh, one of my favorite things, unless you, did you have another point about this movie? Cause I, I was going to get, no, get no. into something. Go ahead. No, 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 please. Okay. please. Uh, so one of my favorite comics of all time is the saga of the swamp thing by Alan Moore, mm. uh, which if you're unfamiliar with, Alec Holland, uh, the Swamp Thing character, was created by Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson in the 70s. And he's a scientist that gets thrown into the swamp with the chemicals during a horrible explosion. And he reemerges as the horrible Swamp Thing. And his whole story up until that point is, um, what do you call it? It's trying to regain his humanity and get his human form back. But um, when Alan Moore starts writing for the character, you get the realization that all his memories of being a human being are, don't belong to him. He actually ha- he has a dead man's memories. When Alec Holland died, the Swamp Thing was born, but he didn't turn into the Swamp Thing. The Swamp Thing just exists. Mm. He just exists as a plant monster. He has no humanity to return to. Okay. And in through the, the, the pages, because he goes through a massive existential crisis, and it's really just so such good horror, such good like pathos. I, I love it so much. Um, by the end of that story arc, He's learned to accept the fact that he is just the Swamp Thing. So like uh, Abby, Abigail, uh, the character in the comic who kind of echoes Murphy's partner in this movie. uh, She looks at him and she says, Alec, he's like, no, I'm not Alec. She's just like, who are you? And he says, literally, I am the Swamp Thing. It's like, does that make you Mm. happy? Yes, it does. And that story about losing your humanity having it wrenched away from you, you the, the idea of humanity that you had. And by the end of your struggle, you can still self-identify as human as, and as a person, um, despite what the outside of your body looks like. And despite what, um, what do you call it? Despite, despite how people see you and what you were built to do more or less, or whether or not you're a monster, whether or not you're a cyborg and you could still look in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm Alex Murphy, or I'm RoboCop, and be okay with yourself. That mm-hmm. story to me hits me really, really hard. And what I said to you when we were talking about planning this is RoboCop can make me cry. And the end of this mm-hmm. movie makes me tear up because despite the fact that he's a head connected to a robot suit, he did the right thing. And he, what do you call it? And he resisted his programming and he found his humanity despite the fact that he doesn't have it anymore. And that shit is just so powerful to me. 
Like, and it's a movie where a robot shoots a guy in the dick. Like, I know, <laughs> but like, what do you call it? That doesn't mean that, like, we call it. There's just that little detail where when he's still Alex, when he still has his human body, he's like, he's trying to spin his gun. Mm-hmm. Like he's trying like, to spin his, like, his revolver. Like TJ Laser? I was going to call him JT Laser. What do you call it? Um, uh, his, it was like a TV show that his son liked. It was yep. like Power Rangers or shit. And the character in that show span, you know, spun his revolver. So once he's RoboCop, for some reason, he spins his gun. Mm-hmm. They didn't program him to do that. Nobody else does it. Nobody talked about it when they were building him. So it's just the little seeds that you get that, like, not at, Murphy's still in there. Yeah, he's, there's like these echoes of his former life still, still in his brain uh, activity. Yeah, and there's there's that scene where he's walking through his house that you know he used to live in with his family. That like it's why why is this heartbreaking scene in this? you know, murder and guns movie because it just, mm. it, it just rips me up. Like he's picture, he's Matt. remembering looking breakfast and looking at his kid and talking to his wife about how much he loves her. It's just so, and, it's so gut-wrenching. And the way, the way that they, the way that they shoot, they, that Paul Verhoeven chooses to film that scene is brilliant and, and very bizarre, but it works so well. The way, the way that you're talking about those parallels, because He's he's walking into essentially what is a house that's for sale in this future Detroit. So I guess maybe we don't have real estate agents in the future. And instead, they just have a screen in every room that a disembodied voice comes out and says, like, describes the room to you or tells you how great this house is. So he's walking through and that robot is interacting with him as though he's a prospective buyer of this house. So it's telling him like all the great things about this house, but his experience at like literally layered on top of that is through his visor, he's starting to have these flashbacks from like bits of his memory coming forward, coming to the fore of his mind of, of being in that house with his family and getting that backstory. So we don't get much of this, of Murphy's, life before he's RoboCop. We don't really get to find out too much about him before he becomes the the robot, the cyborg later on. But this is a really great like way to do a flashback that's not a typical a typical movie flashback. Like it's happening in real time because his brain is is using new information that it recently received and sort of digging up these memories. And it's almost like his, he's malfunctioning. Like his, his his wiring is getting crossed and malfunctioning, and that's the only reason he's it's, seeing these like things. Like his human in this memories space. are, it's his like his human memories are being filtered through his new digital perspective. Yeah, it's like oh, these analog. Way, thoughts. Great way to put it. Oh, thank you. What do you call it? It's like these these analog thoughts are conflicting with his like digital visual readout so it's mm-hmm. and you brought up a great point about how it's framed like he with all these tvs being like here's the bedroom and here's the bathroom like it's this artificial aspect that conflicts with the human emotion yeah and what do you call it i don't know how much you know about the score to this movie but it was uh made by a guy uh, basil polidorus who one of the best composers like in, in, you know, uh, action cinema and movies in general, he also did the score for Conan, the barbarian, uh, which is beautiful, a beautiful score composed like an opera. But he did, what he did for RoboCop is that he did a combination of string instruments 
with synthesizers. Mm. Um, and the main uh, percussive instrument is a fucking hammer on an anvil for the Dude, score. Dude, that's amazing. Yeah. So it's being the hammer on the anvil is the forge, and the string instrument is the human elements, the like the acoustic yeah. analog sound that is Alex Murphy, and the synthesizers are the machinery that's taking over. So that conflict between digital and analog, between human yeah. and machine, is woven into the fabric of the movie without it being shoved down your throat. So yeah. much so that it, it would only sneak up on you if you think about it. I remember when somebody told me about the score and how it was like recorded with an anvil and stuff. I'm like, that's so fucking cool. Like, you that know, is like, such I, a cool detail. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Like, well, that that um, that he's like struggling with his identity throughout the movie, right? Like, there there are times where he he re- he refers to Alex Murphy in the third person, like. There, there's an exchange between him and Lewis where he says, like, Murphy had a wife and son. What happened to them? And Lewis is explaining to him, like, well, they, you know, there was a funeral for you. Everybody thought you were you were dead and they moved away. Like, she, you know, she started her, she started her life over. She mourned you and said goodbye. Uh, but the, the fact that he says, like, oh, and my God, I forgot. I almost forgot. Like, this, this has one of the greatest lines in the movie where he says, um, I can feel them, but I can't remember them. And this is before he gets access to those to those visual memories when he's walking through the house. He says that I can feel them, but I can't remember them. So they own, the only organ that they saved of Robocop was his brain, but like he still has a heart. You know, like he's still the heart of the police station. And like he still has like human emotions every once in a while, whether he's programmed to or not. Um, they can't take his humanity away. They can't they try. Take it away. And they try to is, literally strip it from him, but they cannot take it from him. That's proved like by the end of the movie, because there's another scene later where Clarence is, is he where he's kicking Clarence's ass, and Clarence is like, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm employed by wh- whoever, uh, by Joan, Dick Jones, um, you know, and you're supposed to, you're you're supposed to protect me. And he's like, You're a cop, you're a cop. And Robocop finally like has he like lets him go and he just says very robotically, I am a cop. And so then later, but later, later in the movie, when somebody asks him, what's your name? He says, he just says Murphy. <laughs> that's the very end of the movie. That's, that's, yeah. you know, what do you call it? Cause he, he has, what do you call it? Great Binge closing program. line. He had his, he had his conflict with Clarence Boddicker, which is yeah. awesome. Like, what do you call it? That's the scene where he literally walks on water when he fights Clarence Boddicker at the very end. Yes. Cause he's Jesus. Just, just yeah. to really hammer home that Jesus parallel. American Jesus. Like, and he uses the the information spike that comes out of his hand oh, that he uses yeah. to like log into the mainframe. That, that R two D two thing. Yeah. yeah, he gets him. I, I think it must have been in an edit because when I watched it recently, he stabs Clarence Boddicker in the throat with it, like in the jugular. And there's a yeah. there's footage of him like screaming while his throat is bleeding, and um, it was very clearly like not VHS footage, but it wasn't like the the original master of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the version that I watched recently and it, it only added to it honestly but not only that is uh, like so when he completes that conflict which has a great spot with his partner when she shoots the one guy who's got the crane yeah like there's the one guy with the crane with the magnet and t- takes their guns away and then he's just like oh, I got him boss and then Murphy's partner is just like eats shit and fires a high powered rifle and just <laughs> blows him to kingdom come dude like just 
goodbye. Like no mm-hmm. more you, dude. Like, uh, but after that major conflict, which is which is fantastic, um, we uh, we got to get back to the boardroom. We're talking about the Ed Two Hundred Nine again, and when Robocop faces off against the Ed Two Hundred Nine, it reveals his his fatal flaw. And when I showed this movie to a friend of mine a few years ago who had never seen it, and I was like, you "Ever seen RoboCop?" I mean, like, dude, come on, I'm putting it on. Like, mm-hmm. uh, he loved the Ed Two Hundred Nine. He was like, "This is the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen," and I agree. He's fucking amazing. Like, he, yeah, it's, he's it's like, one of like, my favorite uh, movie robots. It's it's one of the best, man. Like, it's so cool. Um, but he can't walk downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> he can't walk Poor downstairs. Guy. And uh, what do you call it? My friend was so fucking mad. <laughs> he was so like, what do you mean? And I'm like, no, he can't walk. Look at his feet, dude. He can't walk downstairs. That's why Robocop's yeah. better. He can use stairs. He's like, that's so stupid. And I'm like, just like the Ed 209. <laughs> yeah. Is it stupid? No, no, it's not. It's brilliant. It's, it's like, genius, really. Because it, it, it has that little moment of like, I'm, I'm going to try. And then it pulls its foot back because it can't quite find a solid platform and it it's like that's a very human thing like if you've ever tried to go down uh if you ever if you ever lived in a place where like the switch to turn on the cellar light is in the cellar so you have to take the stairs in the dark right and you're like very very carefully trying to put that (laughs) one at a time and you're like very hesitant about it because you're not sure where you are like this thing, it doesn't, it doesn't literally doesn't have eyes, right? It only has its senses to tell itself where it is in the world and what it's interacting with. So when it encounters a flight of stairs, which it is not designed to handle, it's going to like oh. test it out, but it's still trying so hard to carry out its prime directive and kill Robocop and be a good boy, be a good little robot. <laughs> and it just, it, it just tries too, I heard and it can't. Poor little the digitized <laughs> sounds for the Ed 209 were like animal sounds that were like they put through filters. So like when he's when he's intimidating and when he's pointing his guns, it's like this very low kind of like almost like a lion what, roar. Do you know what kind of animals they used? I'm, I'm not sure. I did at hmm. one point. Do you know? I know I don't. I don't. Uh, but I'm that. That's a really cool. I'm going like to look into that because that's really cool. What do you call it? Like it was meant to be like low and intimidating, but still very like synthetic. When he falls down the stairs, he cries. Yeah. Like, like when he gets, when he's like, when he can't get up and he's like stuck on his back, like a turtle, he's like crying. He's making like, and I think the implication is that it's like the servos giving out or like whining, but Mm -hmm. it sounds like he's like, well, I failed. I can't do stairs. Like, you know, And just the idea that Dick Jones wanted these things on every street corner, like, imagine that. Yeah. Imagine that <laughs> thing, like, trying to bust a drug ring or something, and then just tumbling oh. down a flight of stairs. Like, if I may, it's already like the the character is already a parallel on uh, the incompetence of some police in in that they can't tell whether a perpetrator actually has a gun in their hand or not and shoots them True. to death. I don't I don't think Paul Verhoeven knew that was going to age as well as it did mm. when he put that I think he did. I do. I really think Paul Verhoeven is something of a prophet because there's so much about like just the callousness of society and and the the uh the the incredible focus on consumerism and and capitalism 
like basically taking over every form, every aspect of government and, 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 and the law. So like, I do think that he was thinking about those things because when Ed 209 is like, you know, you have put down your weapon, you have 20 seconds to comply. And then like the guy's not even carrying a weapon or yeah, he puts it down and it's like, you have 15 seconds to comply. Like that you, we just, we hear so many stories of that in, in the media of like, you know, some, like some, a kid carrying a, 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 a toy gun or they're or reaching for something in their care. glove box. Yeah. Yeah. Like something, something innocuous, but mildly suspicious and they lost their life for it yep. because the people that were trained to handle it, handle it like the fucking head 209. Like, exactly. they, like, like they think they, that they all want to be terminators, you know, like, um, and it's it's horrifying. It's just it's so weird watching this movie, which is so overtly a parody of 1980s America, but so much of it still hits in the exact same way, mm-hmm. in a way that a lot of parodies age like milk. This one ages so well. Like certain stuff is always going to be you know big 80s America, motherfucking CD ROM. But like, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> like there, there's just like the the callousness of the police the the way that the people the authorities in charge are in tra- are really controlled by the people who have the most money in any given situation mm-hmm. and like what do you call it um the simple fact that like the the one line that's very telling to me and it feels very super villain but also feels very true to life in my experiences or is when he says like do you think i care if the ed 209 worked i cared about how much money i could make off of it mm-hmm. like something about that it just it's very like mustache twirling villain, but it feels true to life. Like, do you think Jeff Bezos gives a shit if half his products work? Right. Like, or if it gets you to your about, house on time, gives a shit that you pay for your Amazon's Prime subscription. Like, well, you read about like these airline companies that like they they sit down or car companies do this where they like sit down and do the math of it will cost us less to pay out settlements to families that die from this poorly manufactured part or break you know brake system failing it'll cost us less to to deal with getting sued and paying out settlements to the families than it will to just recall all of the cars that have this faulty brake system and replace them like that will be more expensive than if we just pay families after their families have, after people have died from our product rather than try to get out in front of it and fix it. And that's like it, it, doing that cold arithmetic is exactly what this movie is. There, there's this, there's a, a, a line where one of the, somebody says to one of the criminals um, in the movie, like one of the gang members, like, you know, why, why are you? Uh, oh, one of the, one of the gang members is explaining how they get like this drug and then they, they sell the drug for money and then they use the money to buy more. And he's basically explaining the basic economy to him. And he's like, well, why don't we just get, um, why don't we just steal the money directly? And anyway, this, the, the line I'm trying to drive towards is he says, ain't no better way to steal money than free enterprise. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Man, I think you got a point. This movie is prophetic. Like, yeah. Holy hell. They're I mean, like the commercials themselves in this movie are are one of my favorite aspects of it. Um, there's the one, the very first one we get after like our first news break in the movie, uh, media break. You give us three minutes and we'll give you the world. Um, is they're talking this? They cut to this commercial for like the Family Heart Center, 
And this both sets up like what is technologically and medically possible in this world, but also sets up like what's going to happen to uh, to to RoboCop later on Um, because they've got these like designer hearts like the Jarvik and this Yamaha sports model that you can (laughs) just buy. Um, And then another commercial later on that I I want you to talk about because you were you were talking um, we were talking about this before we started recording and you said that this was your favorite commercial Nukem. The, the oh, it's game. not a Nukem. It's Nukem. Yeah, no, I love Nukem, dude. Like, there's a uh, there's something about it that makes me laugh more than a lot of the other ones because, like, I believe it, and I think it's also ironic too because there was a very popular video game character called Duke Nukem for a long time, yep. which I'm sure probably came directly from this. But like, it's a parody of Battleship. I want to say of like, yeah, we're using American military tactics and and lingo and and like you know iconography for a game so the actual evolution of that for the 1980s and by extension for the future was we are nuking each other for fun it's like we 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 fuck monopoly fuck battleship you know we're not gonna use missiles and torpedoes and and land tax we're gonna reduce everything to scorched earth and i I was saying earlier that the line like that's it, son. No more military aid. And then he just smashes the button. Nuke him. Fun for the whole family. Like, I just, I adore that scene. It's so get, fucking funny. Get like, them before they get you. That's perfect. Like, that's so perfect. There's also yeah. the commercial with the dinosaur, which we'd be remiss to not talk about. On robots I mean, versus the- dinosaurs. Absolutely. I was definitely uh gonna i was i was gonna insist that we get we get to that the commercial do you remember what the commercial is for it's for a car commercial right it's like the The 6000 sux which one of the one of the uh criminals later on in the movie gets one um he gets a 6000 sux and then Bodiger blows it up yep just for the fuck of it just to test just be like hey i got these new guns Yep. It's just, oh, come on, man. I just bought that. Like, uh, it's beautiful. Um, but one fun thing is uh, the dinosaur was done by the special effects guys, the Chiodo brothers, yep. who uh, very famously did the special effects and directed Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which, if you've never seen, wonderful movie, kind of terrible, but very wonderful. And has weird special effects in it, like weird iconic special effects around aliens and circuses. So just seeing these guys who worked on that and also worked on the Critters movies. Um, oh, cool. Do, yeah, what do you call it? They do like a very classic 1940s style stop motion T-Rex. Yeah. And you can tell visually he's very inspired by the T-Rexes from King Kong. Mm-hmm. And for a movie that already had Phil Tippett in it, to bring in the Chiodos brothers is kind of neat because Phil Tippett has a very measured and like precise style for his special effects. If you look at Ed 209 or Robocop suits, like there's such a like meticulous attention to detail. The Chiodos brothers are just kind of wilding out. They're just kind of like mm. doing their own thing. And the dinosaur by extension looks like a cartoon. And, you know, he gets inside this 6,000 XUX car. XUX? The six thousand sucks. sucks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you call it? So, like, it's about him driving a giant car over the city, and it's yep. like a parody of like old, like you know, hot dog commercials that had stop motion in them and shit. And it's just so perfect. It, well, one, it makes RoboCop a perfect movie for this podcast. Like that, 
it's a movie about a robotic cop, but we also have a very cool dinosaur in there because yes. this is the greatest film ever made. And the and commercial like, is it it's back because bigger is back. The 1980s, dude. Like, yep. like, amazing. A fucking amazing. Yeah, they um, the, they I end it with that. this tagline, an American tradition, 8.2 miles to the gallon. <laughs> Holy shit. And that I like forgot. when you think when you when you think about that, you realize that's the reason they're using a dinosaur in this ad. They're bragging about the fact that this car guzzles the crap out of fossil fuels, baby. It is a low absolutely a, man. In fact, the um there there's that scene in the montage where Robocop is like is go is cleaning up the city, and there's like a city councilman that's holding people hostage. And he says, you know, I want I want a car. I want a fast car that gets shitty gas mileage. Like that's one of his demands. Um, and that's like another just another like casual cruelty detail in this movie. Like we're just we don't we we care more about consumerism than the environment. Obviously, we do. But this movie acknowledges it and, and is like they're proud of it almost. If that's an interesting parallel to the time it was made and the time now is that like now all these, you know, gas guzzling vehicles want to make you these bullshit commercials where they're like the new powertrain warranty is fine, far more eco-friendly than it has been in mm. 300 years. Like, like they, like they want to just give you this horse shit about how this car relatively yeah. speak is less you, likely to murder the planet. Yeah. But if you only time, focus on how much bullshit we've polluted the ocean with, with our previous model, this one's fantastic. <laughs> By comparison. <laughs> yeah, because we shaved off a couple of sides, you know, like yeah. where in the 80s, I mean, at least in this movie from the 80s, it's like this car guzzles gas because fuck the dinosaurs. Today is about <laughs> me. Like, you know, like, um, yep. And the thing is, is just that that seems like a ridiculous parody because of the world we live in. That was just people. Like mm -hmm. there were definitely people who drove Hummers in 2001 that were like, man, fuck the, the environment. I want to yep. go fast in my big truck. Like, you know, so just that little detail on its own has aged in a way that only makes it funnier. Yep. I'm telling you, Verhoeven's right. a prophet. I think you got a point, man. I think he, maybe he's psychic or some shit because this is wild. <laughs> he just sees the writing on the wall, man, you know. Tells us how Word. He's, he's just turning that mirror dude. back on society, man. Like, what do you call it? Um, I so we got to, we get to the point where uh, oh, also just my favorite little detail before we get to the, like the very end of the movie, the mm -hmm. guy who gets melted by the toxic waste for because he yes. drives into it full force, and he emerges as this fucking Cronenberg nightmare of just mm -hmm. like his one hand is stuck to his chest because the flesh fused and the other one is like into turned into a claw almost <sighs> and he just has these like horrible lesions and boils all over himself God he's bless actively melting he's melting you know and he's got smoke coming off of him and shit it's just this little detail the guy who gets blown up by murphy's partner with the high-powered rifle when he he walks up to him and he like grabs onto him, he just and says like "Help me!" Like mm -hmm. he shrieks it, and his reaction to that is so honest. I can only describe yeah. it as honest because he just 
like, oh my God, get the fuck off me. Like he just said, don't touch me. Don't fucking touch me. Holy shit. And I think that little details like that made the villains in this movie a little more memorable. Yeah. And if he just saw him and went, what the fuck? And he ran like, you know, it's crazy. The moment this movie introduces toxic waste monster to you, it's like, wait, what? What kind of, like, I thought I had my mind wrapped around what this world was and what level of sci-fi it was. And then it shows me a toxic waste monster. And it, it's, it's, it, it really is riding that line. It's almost too much. It's the design of it. It's almost too much. But that guy's reaction to it and the guy that's in the suit, like, performing it, I think sells it. I think all of that like makes it grounded enough that like this is not and this is not a thing that these people in this world deal with on a regular like it's not normal to them and they're, or and, and so the first time they're seeing it they're just as horrified and I think that makes it work. Exactly. In this world where we've already established hyper violence is an everyday thing and like the commercials are murderous parodies of real life and everyone's so desensitized seeing this man fused to himself essentially is still the most terrifying shit he could have seen yeah and like i agree that it is almost too much i know i know me and i know my sensibilities i wanted him to be in the rest of the movie like that (laughs) like i would have loved if you saw him in the last scene like in the background like what do you think Uh, like i i would i'd love that but uh, the I think in the, in the sequel. That it works so well as an immediate shock and then moving on. So it doesn't like, you know, blow the lid off the whole thing is that you see him. He tries to go to his friend and his friend's like, don't fucking touch me. And the next thing you see is Clarence Boddicker accidentally runs him over and he it doesn't explodes. just run him over. He turns into jelly, dude. He like he's just like a, like a head. Exactly. He's just like a head filled with like chicken guts. He's just yep. everywhere, all over the roof. And Clarence Boddicker, who is a hardened psychopath who is now tangled with the RoboCop, is also terrified by what he just saw. Like, and this was this was a thing back in the eighties and nineties. Like as a kid growing up during that time, I thought I was going to have to worry about this a lot more, like toxic waste in general and quicksand. Toxic waste. I really and thought my. I, well, I thought my adult life was going to be just a constant a- exercise in avoiding quicksand and toxic waste. <laughs> I, I something about the idea of like, oh, dude, I don't want to cross the street. Toxic waste trucks come. You know, anything yeah, you could happen. Yeah, like, anything could happen. Was it or like being in Central Park? Like, oh shit, is this the quicksand part? <laughs> oh, we should turn around. Like, you know. Like I, I, that's hilarious. That's fucking funny. I always, I get it with the toxic waste, the quicksand things. When I was a kid, I was always like, man, I just won't go to the desert, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, but the, the, but growing up in New York, definitely like the, I don't know, man, you're going to want to watch out for that toxic waste. Don't, yep. don't go to Burger King through Thursday night. That's when they throw it out, you know? Like, Cause it'll either tr- turn you into this guy or one of the Ninja Turtles. And like one of those outcomes is yeah. cool, but you're rolling those dice and, and it's, it's much more likely to be the guy from RoboCop. Yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be uh, what was it? I start. I, there's this uh, artist I follow called Rob Israel, and he has uh, a picture that he drew of Elton John as the melted guy, and he calls him <laughs> Melton John, and it's really fucked up. <laughs> I was gonna ask why, but that that name answers all questions that I would have had. I, I, I can tell you why. It's like he just thought of the phrase Melton Mel- John. He's like, oh, Melton John. 
Yeah. You so you're asking for Nelson there. Keanu to become an X-Men, and those are some pretty significant dice rolls with Toxic Genius. Waste. Genius. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, can I can I link can I can I put that like a link to that in the show notes so yeah, people sure. can I'm see sure the art like, from I mean, Melton? I don't John. know the guy personally or anything. Just, I'm sure uh, just damn. add him. He'd be like cool with it. Like, yeah, send send me send me that later on so I can put that in the show notes. Sure, I'll look, that, for it, I'll look for it. I want to show people that. <laughs> I want to see it. <laughs> More people oh, need man. to see it. Uh, John, um, I have got three big questions that I want to get to. So you let me know when you're ready for those three big questions. So anything else that you have about RoboCop um, that we haven't covered yet, make I, sure I that let's make sure we talk about it. I uh, well, uh, two things is um, just a, a minor detail. I was watching Bicentennial Man with a friend recently who Great they love that. I'd never seen it. I'd never seen it. So like all I knew about that movie was Robin Williams' robot. Yeah, I watched and it recently for the first it. time for this podcast um, for last year. Oh, cool. Yeah. I was going to ask if somebody did it. I've, oh, that's rad. Um, so this, they, they'd seen this movie a hundred fucking times. Like they, they just knew it. Um, and uh, I was experiencing it for the first time. And it's, it's pretty fucking horrifying in certain spots, which is wild. Um, yep. And uh, what do you call it? His face quite often was just difficult to look at. <laughs> and uh, as well as the performance was amazing just in general, but, um, watching it the whole time, uh, I just kept saying to them, you know, this is really great. This really makes me want to watch RoboCop though. (laughs) 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 Like, cause something about the story of self-actualization as a machine, Mm -hmm. I felt like was a thematic connection that both those movies have, but their execution couldn't be more different. Yeah, um, but on its but at the at a basic level, you're right. It is the basic sci-fi premise of a human consciousness trapped inside a mechanical body. Exactly, and one, it was a a, a consciousness that happens to manifest as human, despite the odds that that wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And the other is a consciousness that manif- that was ripped away and then reformed in a new body. Mm-hmm. it's you know it's some heavy fucking shit so we get to the end of the movie we get mm-hmm. to uh robocop in the ocp um offices where ed 209 had killed that guy he had already outwitted ed 209 made him fall down the stairs like mm-hmm. so um and there's that wonderful well, there's, there's another there's another ed 209 when he gets there there's another ed 209 do you remember exactly oh yeah that's the one where he just like he just uses that gun shoots Murphy it, used, right yeah Yep, just one shots it. Yeah, where he uses the high powered rifle that he got from Clarence and he just blows yep. it to fucking smithereens. That's fantastic. Um, but uh, Dick Jones is in the uh, is like he pull he takes the president of the company hostage, mm-hmm. and RoboCop comes in, plugs in the CD ROM, tells everyone that Dick Jones was up to no good, uh, and the c- CEO of the company says. What was it? You know, Jones, you got fired. So now Jones is no longer a high-ranking official at OCP. So RoboCop can shoot him. And, and what he does, does he say? What does RoboCop say first, though? It says, thank you, right? Thank you. Yep. <laughs> oh, it's just a very polite, thank you. Like, like he's like, just been waiting for this opportunity. He's just been like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I was worried no one was going to do it. And he shoots him out the window and there's the terrific shot of Dick Jones falling out of the window mm. and the, I, I don't know what it was, but the miniature that they used or the, the stop motion figure, the arms are too long. Okay. On the, yeah. Like if you look out the, when he falls out of the window, 
if you really slow it down and look at it, you could tell his arms are like he's got like a ten foot wingspan because he's like <sighs> flapping them. Awesome. <laughs> and like it totally looks weird, but it's yeah. fucking awesome. I don't care. Like it's 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 definitely like some people would call it a bad special effect. I just think it's mm-hmm. terrific. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna rewatch it because I've never noticed that. I've always just been like enthralled by the effect yeah, of it. Yeah, because you're like in the, the story. Because the story's yeah. fucking good. But like, and that that ends in the the scene where you know he spins his gun, he puts it away, and the president of the company looks at him. He's like fixing his ties. It's like terrific shoot, shooting, son. What's your name? And it's just like Murphy, mm-hmm. and then RoboCop. The end of the movie. And I'm a real sucker for any movie that ends right at the emotional climax. Yes. Like, yes. Like, if you've seen Yojimbo, that movie does this as well, by extension, Fistful of Dollars. Like, just like, no, the story just, story just wrapped up. Credits. We're good. Well, thank you for watching the movie. I've heard Paul Verhoeven went to a movie theater in like Harlem or something when he, when he first, when the movie first came out. And he said that um, when that, when it got to that moment, just before, robocops replies he said the whole the whole audience was yelling like when the guy says what's your name son the whole audience was like murphy murphy and then he says it and and paul verhoven this is an apocryphal uh, it might be apocryphal story but um paul verhoven said that like this is that was one of the greatest moments in his career it's like one of the best feelings of accomplishment was having that audience yell the line that was about to happen and that's how he knew like that he he nailed it. He knew that he had gotten it right. Like that's he knew like going in like that. My intention is for this to be the emotional crux of the movie and just end right after that because that'll have an impact. And he was absolutely right. I think, in my that's opinion, that's probably such a heartwarming feeling, dude. But the final thing I wanted to say about the ending oh, please, this please, is this the also thing I've heard Paul Verhoeven say, which is it's framed as a victorious ending, and it certainly feels like it is. It's the first time uh, RoboCop self-identifies as Murphy since the very beginning of the movie. But in order for that you to have that emotional catharsis, the president still has to fire Dick Jones. Dick Jones was certainly not the only piece of shit working at OCP. <laughs> so the president's like, a piece of shit. If we're being honest. the president's a piece of shit, he sanctioned the fucking Ed Two Hundred Nine and RoboCop project. Yeah, like, like so. You still need to rely on the whims of the men at the very, very top. So there's Paul Verhoeven said he's just like, I love the end movie because it feels like a happy end, but it isn't a happy end. It's only when you sit with it, and it's only when you think about the fact that Robocop still couldn't have done anything, and Robocop still has that programming where he can't shoot a a high ranking member of OCP. Um, that you that you realize, oh shit, we still live in hell. <laughs> like, like the Good movie's point. over. We call it? the emotional climax is here. Murphy understands that he was human, and there's nothing better than that. You know, um, he and he challenged his final prime directive, but he mm-hmm. didn't defeat it. He still needed the the authority granted to him to do so. And it's the it it. And much like the ending of Starship Troopers, which is much more overt, um, like you sit with the ending after a while and you think about it and you're just like, oh, God, you know, we want to be on the sides of the winners. 
beautifully put. I'm just like Alex Murphy came finished his character arc for sure, but the world he lives in is still one that is that birthed the RoboCop. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it's the true brilliance of this movie, you know, or like, yeah, so much of the movie is the true brilliance of this movie. But it's just the little shit like that that make it yeah. a special movie, at least to me. And there's, to you there's as well, a, There's a moment a few a few minutes before that scene that like if it had been up to me, I probably would have ended it at this scene or at this line because I think it's such a perfect ending line. But that's why Paul Verhoeven is better than me, because he found a much better <laughs> moment. Um, but I thought this was a perfect moment when uh, Murphy, after she shoots that guy, she gets shot a bunch of times and she's like in dirty water. <laughs> um, and and uh, Robocop, like after he kills Boddicker, he's like, Murphy, you know, we got to we got to get you help or whatever. And she's like, um, Murphy or no, Murphy. Uh, she's what's her name? Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. He's like, Lewis. Lewis, Lewis. Okay. I and was also like, having a hard time thinking. And she's like, was, Murphy. I'm messed up or I'm a mess. Murphy, I'm a mess. And then he goes, they'll fix you. They fix everything. And it's just like, it's so um, haunting. resigned. It's haunted. It's it, He's just resigned. Yeah. He's like, he's like, he's accepted his reality. He's accepted the reality. Like you were just describing of this world that we're all stuck living in. And he's like, it's just so callous. Like, yeah no, you'll be, you'll be fine because like, look what they did for me. Like it's, but he says it in a way where it's like cynical still. Like, it's not, it's not, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Hang on, hang on, Lewis. It's just like, yeah, nothing to worry about. Like maybe they'll just turn you into another yeah, we got it. robot monster like me. You'll, you'll be fine. Yeah. They fix everything. They'll probably give you the Yamaha sport model heart or something. Yeah. You know, <laughs> at least you still got your arms and legs. <laughs> okay john uh this is a section of the podcast that we call lose big three um there's going to be a little bit of music that plays right here so do just imagine there's music do 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 lose big three with you and me it's luigi with the big old three lose big three um lose big three number one uh our robocop and idiocracy part of the same cinematic universe hmm um that's an interesting question uh i never really thought about it like that because i've seen i like idiocracy mm-hmm. idiocracy is a movie i think is really funny but i can't sit down and watch the whole thing because okay. at a certain point i just feel kind of just it's like jesus christ mike judge i, I get it but holy <laughs> shit um i feel like if they aren't i don't think they're literally the same cinematic universe or okay. how, I, I'm not sure how far into the future idiocracy is, you know, like all this shit could have been happened by the time we get to idiocracy. Like, you know, we could have already had a RoboCop and OCP could have already, you know, gone bankrupt. Like, you know, Detroit could be under fucking water. I was just going to say, I think that certainly they represent the same uh, the same cynical view of consumeristic America. I like mm-hmm. the same like worship of IP and products that uh, it takes place in idiocracy also takes place in RoboCop. But by the point time you get to idiocracy, it's degraded to a point where people are putting fucking Gatorade on plants. They're like, you know, Rondo. It's got what plants crazy. I feel <laughs> I feel like in RoboCop they would have 
I mean, they could rebuild a man from shreds. I would hope they'd have the, you know, wherewithal to put water on plants. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so maybe yeah. RoboCop is well on its way to idiocracy, but it's not there yet. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's a prequel. It's a- Something like that. <laughs> yeah, Idiocracy takes place 500 years in the future. Um, so it could be a prequel to Idiocracy. But yeah, that's the parallel. I don't, I don't think it's literally in the same cinematic universe, but I do I do agree with what you're saying. Like, it's, it's just this rampant consumerism. It shows how there's almost an atmosphere of anti-intellectualism. Intellectualism. And yeah, everything is all corporate and ca- and, and consumer products. Um, there's also just like a food paste that everybody eats that's similar to the to the nutrition paste that RoboCop has to eat. That's like baby food. Um, the most famous or the most successful uh, TV show is just like based around a catchphrase, pretty much. Ow my balls. Um, and then in <laughs> RoboCop, it's I'd buy that uh, for a dollar. Yep, it's not my problem. Would I'd buy that for a dollar? Um, so and now my balls definitely fits right in. But you definitely, but you see the parallels, right? Um, my second big question is lose big three number two. Would you, John, volunteer for the RoboCop procedure? Oh fuck no, dude! Like like it, I don't know if you asked me when I was like ten, absolutely. Like <laughs> because I'd be like absolutely i want to be robocop i want to spin Mm -hmm. my gun and like and be bulletproof and be sick but like nah man it's the context that that makes robocop that it has to be no because alex murphy isn't steve rogers you know like Mm. he doesn't love his country and volunteered for an experimental program he should have just died but the system was like nah we can wring use out of you yeah. And you are going to be a vessel for our new product. And basically, uh, I think for me to say yes to the RoboCop program, you have to ask me when I've got my arms and legs blown off. Like, mm. You'd have to ask me when I'm like bleeding out and being like, well, it's this or RoboCop. What do you mm. want to do? Because like, I, I think that integral part of his character is hard. It's such a big part of who he is, is the horrendous body horror of what he's going through. And he's going through it involuntarily. And I think that's what makes RoboCop who he is. So to say that you'd want to do it is like saying you'd want to be one of the Cenobites from Hellraiser. Like, really? Yeah. Like, for fun? (laughs) Not as some (laughs) grand cosmic punishment for your existence? Like... Right. So I, I can't in, with confidence say yes, but, you know, shoot my legs off with a shotgun. Maybe I'll have a different you know view on it. Good answer. Good answer. Yeah, it's it's very much a 10 year old's idea of what's cool and like what's a good outcome for if you get injured or killed in the line of duty. Like it's and you can see how OCP came up with this as an idea um yeah. and didn't think past it once they landed on this they didn't think past it because they were like no this is perfect there's it's flawless it's perfect uh no one will ever be affected negatively by it he's bulletproof yeah, yeah. Like, um and i think one of the little details you said about the baby food is such a is such an interesting little detail because he's always framed especially in from ocp's perspective as this hulking robotic emotionless killing machine mm-hmm but to subsist his biological components, 
they need to feed him like he's an infant. Yes. Yeah. Think about that for a second. Cause like a, your brain, your brain controls what you eat just as much as your stomach does, if not more, because like you see something, you see an advertisement for a, a McDonald's Big Mac, right? And suddenly your brain sends a signal that you're hungry for a McDonald's Big Mac, just because you saw a billboard for it. You didn't even smell it. You didn't even do anything that invokes any of your senses other than sight, which is linked directly to your brain. And that sent a signal to make you feel hungry. So what do you do when you're in a cyborg body and you receive that signal in your brain? Where does it go next? Because there's no stomach for it to travel to, but you're going to feel this un, what's the word I'm looking for? This uninsatiable uh, sense of hunger because you, yeah. there's nothing you can actually do to, and I guess maybe the baby food helps with that, but like, how do you, yeah. Like, does he get cravings for particular foods? I mean, maybe he does as he starts to uncover his humanity. Like maybe hmm. like just as he had the experience with his wife and child, like walking through the house, maybe one day as he remembers being Alex Murphy, he'll walk past, dude, I live right by a Popeye's. And mm -hmm. every time I'm walking to the bus to go to work, I smell the fries mm. and I'm just like, the devil is very tempting. So I can only imagine <laughs> how that must feel if I didn't have a digestive tract, yeah. but I still had my like olfactory senses. Like that would be, I have no mouth and I must scream. It would be very I, much like that. I, I have no mouth, but I must taste. <laughs> I have no stomach, but I want them fries. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John. Third, uh, third big question is lose big three. Number three, in an all out, no holds barred battle between RoboCop, Judge Dredd, and the T-800. I'm limiting it to the T-800, not the liquid metal T-1000. Not the liquid metal that's, that's, that's unfair. That's obviously who's going to win. But <laughs> um, just RoboCop, Dredd, and the T-800, who wins? Hmm. That's a, that's a question. Um, well, here's the thing is I don't feel like judge dread would have his all, uh, powerful, uh, gift on his side because RoboCop has not broken the law. Mm. So I don't think he'd have that all consuming desire to end his life. And depending on how you view Skynet's actions, the unsanctioned time travel very much could be breaking some kind of law. So let's say that the T-800 manifests itself in Detroit. What was it? The, uh, the higher brass at Judge Dredd's, like, you know, uh, the judges, they get the information that there was an unsanctioned time travel that took place in the Americas. So they leave Mega City and they head there. Uh, RoboCop being on the beat just comes across this. So I feel like the T-800 is adaptable in a way that the RoboCop is not. I feel like its ability to mix in with general human beings uh, and have like flesh functions like and touch and things like that will make it more of a matter of finding the T-800. But once they do find them, I feel like RoboCop can identify them just as obviously the T-800 can identify RoboCop. Um, I feel like in terms of raw power, the T-800 can't destroy RoboCop hmm. and they'd need to be in a situation like in the first movie where they use a hydraulic press to destroy one of the two. 
Hmm. So the only person that's going to come across the idea of doing that is going to be Judge Dredd. Because Judge Dredd's going to know he's going up against two mechanical opponents. So I think Mm. the question becomes, can Dredd lure the two of them into that situation? But I feel like he'd hesitate because RoboCop is a fellow lawgiver. I feel like he'd have respect, you know, for what RoboCop is. Maybe not what OCP turned him into, but what he functionally is. You know, see now that you mentioned so that I, aspect of it, I think that makes that makes RoboCop that takes RoboCop out almost immediately because his directives are going to um, make him unable to fight Dread because Dread is a lawgiver. So he that like true going but, against Dread violates his prime directives. But like, what do you call it? Just to bring up uh, the Suicide Squad again, I don't know if you saw uh, John Cena's Peacemaker in that movie. Yep. Yep. Um, I feel like Judge Dredd walks that similar line of I cherish law with all my heart and I don't care how many men, women, and children I have to kill to get it. Oh, so Dredd for like, sure. Dredd would have no problem. I'm saying RoboCop loses because RoboCop is I feel like Dredd is tearing through Detroit looking for these two robots and as a result is leaving civilian cash. So, so RoboCop okay, so now Judge, has the incentive yeah. to kill Dredd. So now so RoboCop sees feel- Dread the way that a lot of people see, like, the Punisher, where he's like, yeah, he's yeah. self-righteous, but he's still committing crimes to be a vigilante. Plus, yeah, plus he he's not, what do you call it? Dredd doesn't work for OCP. He doesn't mm-hmm. work for that same, like, you know, conglomerate that uh, is RoboCop's weak spot. I don't know if the T-800, specifically the one from the first movie, could kill RoboCop. I don't think he could have... I don't think he could destroy his outer components the same way that I feel like RoboCop could grab like the T-800's hand and and kind of crush it. Not like handedly, not without effort. Like certainly it'd be a big struggle. But like I feel like RoboCop has that resilience almost. Um, and it would come down to the amount of firepower that the T-800 has and whether or not Dread... Um, is now considered to be a public threat and a greater threat than the T-800. Okay. Uh, which, by the way, uh, there is a Sega Genesis game called RoboCop versus Terminator, which, mm-hmm. okay, so you know about it. I didn't oh, know yeah. about it until a few years I, I didn't know about it until a few years ago, and a friend of mine played it, and I went to his house and played it on his Genesis, and we got fucked up. That game is balls nasty hard. Yeah. And we almost, and we got to, like, the last level, and we were like, holy shit. And ironically enough, the last level is OCP. It's trying mm-hmm. to get through the, the board of directors and shit, which is pretty crazy. Um, so I don't know who would win, man. I see the thing is like, I'm not very good at the answer of who wins this fight. I'm very good at, well, how does this fight go down? Yeah. Because you, yeah, you did a good job of like setting up how this, dudes. how this fight happens in the first yeah. place, which is a good answer. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a wrestling fan. That's how like, you know, how does this match go down? Like, I think that's like <laughs> It's kind of like in my DNA almost. Like, so I feel like, look, I'm just a big old Mark and I'm a big old nerd. I have to give it to RoboCop because I feel like it'll be like at the end of the day, he'll be battle damaged with like half his eyeball showing and like one of his arms maybe will get ripped off or some shit like that. But I feel like he's standing tall at the end of it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like the T-800 being like a single-minded machine can be fooled by both. The same way he fooled the Ed 209 in the same way that Dread can fool uh, uh, being like a fully thinking human could fool uh, uh, a robot. I feel like the T-800 gets taken out. Um, okay. And which is hard to say because I fucking love Schwarzenegger. Like, and I love the first Terminator. Uh, 
that I, I think if it comes down to RoboCop and Dread, I think RoboCop has the capacity to stab him in the neck the same way he stabbed Clarence Boddicker. Hmm. Okay. Um, so answer. that is my uh, short uh, uh, essay about who would win for Robo Dread, wins. RoboCop, and Tim. Fair enough. I hope it was a sufficient I, answer. It, it is. I, I think I land on, like, when I ask this question, my favorite, my pick is the T-800 because it's my favorite of the three. Oh, hell yeah. But the, the, more you, the more you described it, I realized Dread is the only one because he's human is the only one with cunning. The other two have a lot going for them, but he's the only one that could could really trick or dupe the other ones into some sort of trap or, like, into fighting them on his terms where he's like set up some sort of environment where that makes it easier. So I think for that reason, dread is the only one who would, who would win because uh, he's the only one that has that is capable of cunning and, and duplicity. Set the trap. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, I, I would take that. I, I, I totally feel that. But he also has the squishiest they, organic body. So he might lose for that reason. <laughs> well, it's just why I feel like if it came down to a mortal conflict between RoboCop and dread, RoboCop would have it because he yeah. doesn't have a, a stomach you can stab or shoot, you know? He has a um, face, though. He has a chin. Nobody ever tries stabbing him or shooting him in the chin, which I think is weird. Nobody in all three movies. Nobody tries shooting Batman in the chin either for yeah. some fucking reason. You know, like, like, what do you yep. call it? I, uh, I, I feel like the strength of the Terminators isn't necessarily just like the T-800. I think it's the thousand T-800s that they send. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I think that's the true strength of Skynet is the perpetual army of robot skeletons they can send your way. Yeah. Yeah. So if it was like three T-800s in this three-way battle, it might, might, the outcome might be a little bit different. Um, but I would definitely, I would definitely pay to see that movie uh, or oh, fuck if yeah. they made a remake of that game, I would definitely buy it. Um, okay. Oh dude. Hell yeah. Should we, should we address the remake at all before we call it a day? We can address the remake a little bit. It's um, let's save let's save it because I have I have two uh, bonus questions. <laughs> I need to figure out I need to figure out the structure of the podcast a little bit <laughs> at some point because um, maybe I shouldn't do the big three and then the bonus questions. But that's neither here nor here nor there. I want to ask them. So I'm going to ask them. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm thinking maybe I should do the big three at the beginning of the episode, listeners. Uh, if you if you have an opinion on that, on the structure of the podcast, and whether I should do lose big three at the beginning, write in to robosvdinos at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to write in your fan mail, your hate mail, anything you want me to read on air, corrections to things you that I said everyone in the past. Blows shit and you want to let them know. <laughs> yeah, please do. I will read your hate mail on, I, I've said this many, many times, but so far nobody's sent me hate mail. They've only sent, uh, so far the only result I've gotten is one very nice informative text message that I got to read on air. But I will read your hate <laughs> mail if you send it to me, so do so. Um, but anyway. I'll, I'll send you some hate mail. Don't worry, dude. <laughs> two bonus questions. I ask every guest these bonus questions. Uh, and that's what sets them apart from the big three. First bonus question. John, if we were to replace any two characters in RoboCop with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito, who would you replace? And in what ways would that improve the movie? Okay, so um, I had a few ideas about this. I feel like I'd want, as obvious as it may seem, I'd want to make Danny DeVito RoboCop himself. I'd want to make him Alex yeah. Murphy. Just same, because same height, I want... Right? Same exact height. Like, what do you call it? Like, I want the scene... 
I want I want your move creep with Danny DeVito. Like I want him with the <laughs> lights behind him coming out of the car and he's still like, you know, four foot, whatever, but he's Robocop, dude, and he's here. Like, you know, like yeah. I want that. Better I want alive. That You're coming with me. More than anything else. But um uh and and if I say that, I I'm inclined to make Whoopi Goldberg uh Lewis because I feel like she'd be great. Mm. Uh, she they would be great bouncing off each other. But um I kind of want what if Whoopi Goldberg was Clarence Boddicker? Oh my God. That's my answer. Yep. That'd be fucking kind of sick. Right. Like yeah, that'd be yes. awesome. Like, like, uh, like, cause as much as I would love her bouncing off RoboCop and being like Murphy, it's you like her as the main, like antagonistic force would be crazy. Yeah. And by extension, Danny DeVito as Dick Jones would have been fucking awesome. <laughs> oh Yeah. Yeah. Like, imagine the dude who made the Ed 209 and is in charge of, like, trying to stop RoboCop from behind the scenes was Danny DeVito. You know, like... You know where he would nail it? That scene scene where he hears Morton talking shit about him in the bathroom? Imagine, like, like Danny DeVito comes out of the stall, like, what you just... And, like, the one guy literally pisses his pants and runs out of the bathroom. What the hell did you just say, you little pissant? Oh, yeah. I would I would love the scene when RoboCop shows up to arrest him and Danny Beals like, all right, put the cuffs on me. Go ahead. <laughs> do it. Yeah. Oh, you can't. I wonder why. Like, like I would love that. That would be fucking terrific. Although it's hard to compete with the visual of Danny DeVito with the gun and the helmet. Like it's hard to like it's true. Like, don't you want that? <laughs> yeah. Don't you want that? To you know happen? what? You know what I want? I want the um I want the Tim Burton version of Robocop and Danny DeVito in his classic Tim Burton four foot tall top hat um as Robocop. <laughs> like somehow design implement that into the design. Fuck you. Yeah. And we got and we got like, for some movie. reason he's just dressed Tim, like a mayor from the 20s, even though it's the it's, future. Like <laughs> Tim Burton presents Robocop. <laughs> I think we got a movie. <laughs> That's the Yo, scene you want to I, talk about a remake. That's the remake that should exist. Um, <laughs> that will, Danny and, Elfman score would be fucking fire, though. Don't even act yeah. like it would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love everything you were saying about the score in this movie with like, the, like a, that industrial sound, the hammer on metal sound. But yeah, Danny Elfman would 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 Danny Elfman would go to the would uh, pull out all He'd the come stops. Up with some weird shit. He'd come up with some weird fucking shit, and I'm sure it'd be awesome. Like, like I love Basil Polidors. He's one of my favorites of all time. But Danny Elfman doing the RoboCop soundtrack? I'd, I'd want to hear that. That'd be fun. John, cool. I, John, I do want to discuss the remake just a little bit, but I have one final bonus question. This is a bonus question I ask every one of my guests. Um, and this is a section of the podcast that we call, What's Your Snack? John, what's your snack? Uh, it has recently in the past past few months been legal to go to the movie theater again, which I'm very excited about. Um, do you have, when you go to the movie theater, do you have a favorite snack that you buy or sneak in with you? And uh, sort of part two of the question, when you watch movies at home, do you have the same snack or do you have a home snack? So uh, I got two answers. Um, I actually, because I, and I mentioned the Suicide Squad a few times, I went to go see it in a theater. Uh, and it was my first experience back in a theater since the pandemic. Nice. And they had my favorite movie theater snack because like popcorn's dope. Love some nachos. I'll eat a hot dog. But they only sell them at movie theaters. They're these um, they're these little ice creams called dibs. And it's a little container and it's vanilla ice cream covered in chocolate. Uh, it's that's basically a crunch bar. 
So it's got the oh. like little crunchy bits in it. Too. So you just pop it open and you like pop one in your mouth and it's just good, delicious milk chocolate and vanilla ice cream. And for some reason, I never see them anywhere but at the movie theater. So hmm. I don't like to spend money at movie theater concessions because I don't want to refinance my house. But like you got you get me with the dibs, man. They're fucking so good. And I would be remiss if one of the biggest parts of the watching movies at home for the past year and a half for me is there's a Colombian food truck that opened up on 88th Street and Astoria Boulevard. It's two blocks from my house. Um, and it's called Fuego Naju. And my like, I would get the Salchi Papa's Fuego mix, which is Salchi Papa, French fries and hot dogs, but they throw chicken and steak and I think a little bit of bacon. And they do the pink sauce and the green hot sauce, and they top it with a quail egg. I ordered this more Whoa. than once. Yeah, no, dude, it's crazy. It's fucking yeah. crazy. Like, I know it doesn't sound like a snack, and I'm probably skirting the line here, but I have picked it up more than once so I could come back to my house and watch a movie with a friend. And like, they always get something from there, too. And I love this food truck, so I should always plug them. Yeah, tell <laughs> and, me the name again, because like, I'm going to put this in the show. I'm going to put it in the show notes. What's the uh, name? Fuego Naju. So Fuego like, Nacho? You know, fire and then N-A-J-U. Uh, oh, I don't know N-A-J-U, if they've got multiple not Nacho. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Uh, First of all, because I, I live in the neighborhood, I'm going to check it out. But also, uh, listeners, if you're local to New York City or Queens, um, we're going we're gonna to tell you where to find this amazing food truck, Fuego Nacho. Yeah, what is it? We'll have like the address in the description. I'll send it to you on Instagram or if, if anything. Dope. It's just like they're they're so close to me, um, like that. It's more multiple times in the past like three weeks. I've met up with a friend of mine. Like, hey man, you want to watch a movie today? Yeah, sure. You want to pick up Fuego? Oh yeah, absolutely. So like, what do you call it? We just we feast and we watch some crap. I, I can't nice. remember what we watched recently. I think we watched a Godzilla recently and, and, and ate. it was delicious. Like it was just fantastic. Um, so I guess that's a favorite snack of the past year is because they opened in the past year. And I'm like, if I'm hungry, I know who I'm going to. Good answer. That's a lot. That's a common answer. A lot of people say that like meals have been their movie snack over the past year. And I, and that's I true for me as well. Now. You're watching and you're eating at home. So why not just get something delicious? Like why not yep. just get something like I love the theaters where they serve you food. Like, was it Nighthawk Cinema? I was I used to go to, and I know Alamo Draft House is the other really big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that was such a novel concept. I was like, I can order a cheeseburger and a beer during a movie. What is this heaven? Like, you know. Mm-hmm. And I like, what do you call it? So these days, it's like popcorn is amazing. I love popcorn, but like, you know, I want something with some zazz when I'm, when I'm watching a movie. Yeah, I've never tried the dibs. Next time I'm at the movie theater, I'm going to try those. Go for uh, it, dude. Dibs are like, I don't know, they're underrated. I don't feel like enough people talk about how ill dibs are. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, so, so John, why don't, we, why don't we just have like a little corner about the RoboCop remake um, before, we, before we wrap up entirely for the day? Because, because okay, I, the format of this show, I always let the guest pick the movie that we're going to talk about. Um, and that's why people have asked me, like, since I, since I started doing this, since I started recording, hey, how come you haven't done Jurassic Park yet? That's your favorite movie. Like, why haven't you done Jurassic Park? I finally did Jurassic Park. It was the most recent yeah. episode that came out before this one. Um, and the reason I hadn't done it yet is just because if it was up to me, I'd, be, I'd do every episode on Jurassic Park. It would just be the Jurassic <laughs> Park podcast and we'd talk about it 
uh, for an hour at a time every week. Nobody, nobody but me wants to hear that. So, um, so I let the guests pick. And so you picked this movie, RoboCop. I would say if I had to predict, like when I first came up with the idea for this podcast, eventually someone's going to pick RoboCop. Nobody's picked Terminator yet, but eventually someone's going to pick Terminator. John, I honestly don't think anybody's ever going to say, hey, Lou, I really want to talk about the RoboCop remake on your show. No. <laughs> so this no might be the only opportunity to really like get into it. So um, so I want to hear what you well, like I, about it. And I want to hear how like how you compare it to the original. But I also have some thoughts that are not kind. Same. Uh, what do you call it? Well, it's funny, too, is... um. I, I actually wanted to do uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, the original one, if I was going to show up on the show, but somebody already Hell picked yeah. it. And like, which is probably for the best because I listened to some of it. And you guys sounded like you were having fun. And that would be way too much of me being like way into Godzilla lore. And that <laughs> probably wouldn't be very fun. <laughs> but um, what do you call it? The Robocop remake. Um, I feel like let's try to be nice here. They had some pretty stellar casting choices. I like seeing Michael Keaton in anything, and like Hell Sam yeah. Jackson. Jackie Earl Haley was, yeah, yeah. Jack and I, I love Jackie Earl Haley. I'm so sad that his career went like nowhere, like because um, he was such a. I don't know. He played one of the most iconic comic characters of all time. I got a soft spot. Yeah, but like, um, what was it? He. Uh, there was some good casting choices. Sam Jackson as the voice of OCP was like a good a good pick. Wow, it's fucking raining out there. Um, mm. I uh, so interestingly enough, I like the idea that they incorporate keeping his hand uh, as a part of it because it is a reference to the original movie. But I feel like uh, the incorporation of keeping giving him a human hand and having him have a relationship with his family fundamentally shows a lack of understanding as to what the character is about thank you like i don't want to i don't want to be like oh well you shouldn't know his wife and child like you know fuck that like i'm sure someone could come up with a good version of that story but like the tragedy of robocop is him walking around his old house and having his old memories flashback and you yep. don't get to have that sorrow and that sneaky, like, heartfeltness, because that's not how the movie's sold to you. If a big part of the trailer is him being like, I still love you, even though I'm the RoboCop, uh, you know, like, it's and uh, he he blows up in a car bomb, which mm -hmm. definitely is a lot more now. Uh, and the, the way they show his body, he looks fucking fried. So, you know points for that but like there's nothing quite like execution via multiple shotgun rounds yeah like there's there's something like roman about that like it feels like a gladiator's death we're just blown up in the car bomb feels very like nah we gotta have it feel like realistic you know how else would he blow up it's like you know they snuck a bomb in his car mm -hmm. um i actually really love the design before they change the color mm. because mm -hmm. you can see in the like certain parts of the movie he's got the same color scheme as the original robocop he's got the like you know the classic metal finish and i felt like it was a solid adaptation of that original silhouette to make it work in a new movie but once once you hear michael keaton be like let's make it all black 
because he's Batman. Mm. Um, like he, he's not RoboCop anymore. Yep. He's uh he doesn't cut the iconic silhouette. He's he's just any fucking like he looked like a like he could have been a Borg or like yeah. uh or like part of uh, Stargate SG one or something like which not shit talking either of those two things. It's not RoboCop. A big part of RoboCop's whole presence is his physicality, is his large, you know, bulky exterior and that classic gunmetal finish. Like, mm-hmm. if you make him all black, you're making a really cool design more cool. And that's when things feel, become less cool. How did you feel about how RoboCop in, in the sequel, in RoboCop 2, has sort of like a blue tint, almost? Like, they kind of give him... I think it's... Because he's still, it's still basically the same costume. It doesn't bother me, uh, and I think it's a perfectly solid way to delineate. Like um, this is the sequel, the, and because he's still got a metal finish to him, he's still reflective. Um, and the blue tint, it's almost in wrestling terms, it makes him more like a face. It makes mm-hmm. him more like a like a hero type, more like Superman, uh, less like a literal gun. Um, so I, I, the blue tint doesn't bother me. And plus, you can't really even notice it on, in most posters. And RoboCop mm-hmm. 2, as we've discussed, is kind of wild. You know? <laughs> so I half the time forget he's blue in that movie. But it doesn't look bad. Yeah. It, it doesn't look bad. Something about him being all black in the remake is like, it's too much. That to me is my, too much. My issue is the visor and the abs. Like the, 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 suit, abs the new RoboCop not- suit. Yeah, it had yeah, it has that weird like super exosuit like early 2000s movie super exosuit design where it's like just this stack of abs going from the chest down and it's like it's oh, like okay, that I don't riveted Kevlar yeah. feeling where it's like oh riveted no we moved it's very Christopher it, Nolan Batman but it looks like it looks like you're you've designed this statuesque robotic cop to look like a like a greek god like you like a like a like some sort like of a statue yeah like when a, it's supposed it's supposed to look if you look at the old old robocop it's supposed to look kind of bulky and unwieldy and like a big metal armor suit not like a mo- not like a mobile ninja suit and the visor yeah, no, dude, the fact that the visor flips up and you to do like leaps off of buildings yeah. and like and shit like that. You look at RoboCop and you expect him to take like a, a tank shell to the face and not move, right. you know? Like yeah. there it definitely wants to go for the more matrixy sort of like, oh well, then he's jumping off here and he's doing a flip and he's like shooting two guys at once, where the original Robocop, he's a tank. You know, he's yep. a he's a slow moving he's unstoppable. unstoppable force. And like at the same time, he also looks like an action figure. He yep. also looks like a toy. It's a, which I, I think adds to the horror of it that like, you know, he also looks like kids want to hang out with him. There's that scene where he's surrounded by children and like, they're all like, yeah, RoboCop, we love you. It's like, RoboCop, what do you have to say to the kids? Stay out of trouble. Like, you know, <laughs> where I feel like if kids saw the remake RoboCop, they'd be like, they wouldn't want to go near him. You know, yeah. like, or. Yeah. Like, he and, doesn't and, look good to me. And, and, and I think that's got, a part of it. He's got that angular visor, and the visor flips yeah. up, so you see the actor's whole face a lot of the times, 
which the way that the original RoboCop dealt with that was he would take off his helmet in certain scenes. Um, and, well, and that not even would certain give scenes, you, it's like he has to unscrew it. He has yeah, to it's, a, it's a process. From it and take off the visor and the helmet. Well, he doesn't but have he, the option of flipping it up at will. And that's a big I, part of the character. Exactly, because when he does, that's when you really see, like, they do that effect where it's like his, they add prosthetics to the side of his face, so it just looks like his face, Peter Weller's face, is stretched out over the back of this thing, but then when you, when they show up from behind, the the metal part only, like, lines up with some of the front part of the face, and you can see where it's like the skin is stretched to pull over it, and it's so unsettling when you realize, like, that this cyborg, this like when you see the inner workings of how this cyborg is a blend of of where literally where the organic plugs into the inorganic, whereas on this it just kind of it looks like a guy wearing a helmet, and the fact that he has a visible human hand only takes away from the illusion that it's a robot. I don't know. Do you? I, it's been a while since I've seen the remake. How do they land on the decision to keep his hand? Like, what's that? What's that? dialogue I can't do you remember to be honest I, I saw it once on tv like years ago and i don't and i didn't watch the whole thing like i missed the first five minutes like skipped the last 10 like you know i was watching yeah. it sort of in and out but like because I, I had already had my opinion on it um i don't remember how they come to that decision i think it's an interesting reference and like i get to see it in the script writing process of being like oh well our robocop does keep his hand to differentiate yeah. it from the original and like I could see that feeling very clever when you're writing it down, but then once you get to the actual execution of it, you just make you take the tragedy away from the tragic character. You know, yeah. like you. It's like you said, it's um, a fundamental misunderstanding of of the story that you're yeah, actually like, telling. Like you know, like yeah, he's in a horrible accident, uh, but he doesn't lose his family. He gets to keep his sense of touch. He gets to keep his identity literally by keeping his face, and. What do you call it? He also kind of looks sexy almost because he's got mm-hmm. the like exosuit. So it's like taking the fundamental idea of Robocop and putting it in a much less bold script uh, and removing the emotional weight purely for the sake of robotic cop movie. The remake is what Robocop would have been for the most part if Paul Verhoeven didn't direct it. If they mm-hmm. just got like some some Johnny Journeyman director to make Robo movie and it would be like, you know, Time Cop or some shit. Like, you know, like yeah. it would uh not shit talking Time Cop. I like Time Cop. But like I I uh I feel like the remake, it's just it only serves to highlight what is still relevant about the original movie, because the original movie, certainly a product of its time, but as we discussed has aged in ways that make it feel relevant where no one talks about the remake anymore. We did because I remembered that it was remade halfway through the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, and I felt like it, it would be a good way to punctuate the idea that if you take away the little aspects of what make RoboCop such an impactful story, then you are left with a very generic action movie, mm-hmm. which can still be fun. You know, I like the action movies just for the sake of it, but like you, <sighs> It's not RoboCop, man. You could have called it like Cyborg Policeman or like, you know, Future Machine or some horse shit. And it wouldn't, you wouldn't tell that it was a RoboCop movie without the vague references to the original. 
Yeah, the concept and the title sell itself. Like you say RoboCop, I immediately know what you're talking about. Like even if, if this movie was never a thing, like I have an image in my head of what a RoboCop would be. So the concept, it's very easy to sell that concept once you once you've introduced it to somebody. And so like this movie, the, the the original RoboCop is what happens when you give that concept to somebody like Paul Verhoeven, whereas the remake is what happens if you just give it to a committee of people. And yeah. they're like, yeah, let's all decide together, like what what we're gonna do. And then it's just the least interesting sat uh, saccharin kind of like and artificial. It was, all, it was part of a very big wave of eighty remakes in general too. Like you know, mm-hmm. they remade fucking Red Dawn for some reason. Like yeah, like no more eighties movie is there that doesn't need to be remade. And like, what do you call it? It was it's cynical, you know. Like it's it's a very cynical remake and don't want to end the podcast and like on a, cyn- on a cynical spot or anything like That's that but i think it only serves to highlight what's amazing about verhoven's movie it only serves to show mm. that it didn't need to be remade because you could because if robocop as we understand it came out right now people would be talking about it not like oh it's such a cool throwback movie they'd be like wow that was fucking awesome yeah, that was a cool ass movie that I gave shit about the characters, and then when something horrendously violent happened, I was like, "Oh shit!" You know, like, um, and I think for me as a person who loves movies, and like I remember we were talking like when the, the the day we met, I had actually said that eventually I stopped giving a shit about art when I watch movies, mm-hmm. movies that can combine spectacle and violence and horror with a story about a character that connects with me, that's why I love movies. And RoboCop is why I love movies. It's because you take all this disgusting shit and at the very heart of it is a story about a person realizing who he is. And goddamn, dude, I mean, here's all the Oscars. Take all of them. What was it? I, I, Because I, I love it. I love this movie so much. It means so much to me. And, well said. you know, the remake, it's a, it's a cash grab, you know? It's like, oh, RoboCop is popular. Let's fucking remake it. And let's not get yeah. what makes RoboCop so fucking cool. And if we're being fair, the sequels are a cash grab too, but... <laughs> but oh, I, for but, sure. I'm not, but, I'm not trying to act like there's a holy RoboCop trinity of films. Like, for, not, not but, at all. RoboCop 2 is argue, wild. Yeah. And, and, and I, but I would argue... Awful. They at least they at least um, they at least lean into the social commentary that the first one set up, and also the second one is uh, is is directed by um, I forget his name, the guy that directed Empire Strikes Back. Um, oh shit! Oh, fuck, Lawrence Kasdan. Lord, is it or Lawrence Kasdan? That, that doesn't written. sound right. Nah. Man, I'm gonna edit out the parts where I don't know this guy's name. Um, <laughs> like, oh, is this Irvin Kirshner? I can't believe I couldn't come up Irvin with that Irvin Kirshner. So Irvin Kirshner, yeah, Irvin Kirshner directed Robocop 2 and has a lot of like interesting parallels there. But um, but you're right, we should end on a positive note. And I and uh so John, I want to thank you for being on Robo, Ro, Robocop versus Dinosaurs. Robo, Yo, Robocop versus Dinosaurs when, dude? When is that happening? Yo, I, know, I had man. so much. I would watch that. But you go, I had so much fun. Thank you so much for uh, having me. I'm uh, very glad that we got to be introduced through mutual friends, and mm-hmm. I got to gush about RoboCop for like over an hour. That was anytime. I will do this anytime. Um, awesome. But what do you call it? Uh, cool. If I plug my shit. 
Absolutely. Please do. I insist. All right. Um, I am a, a writer and an artist. I also do minor technical stuff for people's uh, video productions, uh, as a la holding boom mics. For all the original art, follow Avgo Art on Instagram. That's A-V-G-O underscore art. And my personal one is Avgo Lemonosis. I'll let you try figuring out how to spell that. Um, and what do you call it? Uh, it was great to be on the show. I would love to come back and talk about a RoboCop sequel or another movie in general. One day I will get someone to talk about Freddy versus Jason on a podcast. I'm going to make it happen. Like, so we, we can uh, argue that Jason is a robot, especially if like, we're like if it follows the continuity of Jason X. Oh shit! Does it? Probably not at all. But that would be an interesting conversation who, to have. Who dude. cares, John? We can talk about it on the show. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fucking great, dude. Yeah. All right. Um. So uh, on that note, do you have like a signing off that you like to do or anything like that, Lou? I'm always bad at it, but I figured this movie is so quotable and it has so many of those like one lines that if you pulled the string on the back of the action figure, they would say um, that I thought it might be fun if we both like if we each like picked our favorite Robocop line and, and gave a line reading as the ending of the show today. I feel like we already went through all of them already, but sure. Sounds awesome. Oh, no, it's OK uh, if you repeat one you've already said. My, I'll, I'll do mine first. Um, mine is when he says... <laughs> Uh, to to Lewis, they'll fix you. They fix everything. That line is so heavy, man. That that line is so fucking heavy. Um, I, <laughs> it's fucked up. I really do love, ma'am. You have experienced trauma. I will notify a rape crisis center. I can't. Don't think I can pick it as my favorite, but that one <laughs> will stay with me till uh, the grave, probably. But I, I don't know. There's something. Uh, as, as cliche as it is to pick, I have to pick dead or alive, you're coming with me because he says it both when he's human and when he's a robot. And it's that little seed of Murphy is still underneath that mask. I think uh, I think if I have to pick one, it's that one. Good call. All right. So that's where we're going to end the episode today. Thanks again for being on the show. Listeners, please make sure you check out the show notes for all the cool stuff that we talked about, like the uh, like Fuego Naju, if you're looking for that food truck. Hell yeah. Um, the short story, or was it a short story? I have no mouth, but I must scream. Um, can you give me the. Yeah, Harlan writer. Ellison's I Have No Mouth, But I Must Scream. By Harlan Ellison. Awesome. I'm going to link to uh, 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 somewhere that you can read that as well. Uh, and check out John's. Are you on I'll Instagram, on the- social media? Yeah. A V G O that's the original content awesome uh and please remember to rate review and subscribe robots vs dinosaurs on whatever podcast app you are currently listening to send me your hate mail at robosvdinos at gmail.com or you can hit me up on instagram and twitter um this was a lot of fun and john i will talk to you again soon please dude hell yeah i can't wait to listen to this episode everyone out there please listen to robots vs dinosaurs if you aren't already doing That's American Jesus, man. He died for your taxes. One leg at a time, a jerk, jerk. He's got robocopping to go do. Hot Goss with Trash Comedy is the podcast where we trade sweet, sweet facts like they're dirty little pieces of gossip. We're a New York-based comedy team, and we're joined each week with a funny, delightful friend. After each person shares their facts, we rate those facts from 
Oh my god, that's not hot. That's as cold as the coldest ice you've ever seen. To, oh my god, that's so spicy. My mouth is gone. So if that made sense to you, then please join us on Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts.